the Red 78. I think it's important that people don't expect too much because it takes time when you come back. It's not just the injury, it's all the other stuff. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, you're very welcome along. It's half past seven. It's Thursday morning uh, and we have a full house. Uh, Shane's here. Good morning, how are things? Colm is here. Morning, Ger. Morning, Shane. Welcome back, Ger. Oh, lads, I haven't seen you in a while. Did anything, yeah. anything strange happen in the world of sports? I was thinking you missed a certain game, all right? I missed I'm Monday, not... Tuesday and Wednesday. Nothing happened. Nothing big. I think. What would have happened last weekend? No, no nothing comes to mind. The relief was palpable. Oh, Arsenal beat Bournemouth. Yeah, late winner. That yeah. GG wasn't here. Yeah, the... Um, the Grand Prix was back, was it? Bahrain, yeah, 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 yeah 100%. Yeah, very Medvedev good. Medvedev beat yeah. Novak Djokovic in oh, Dubai. Big, okay. big result, which we obviously led with. Yeah. And um, Allianz League's action. Yeah. Djokovic not going to Indian Wells, is that right? Uh, no, still not going. Still has right. his beef with the US, or the US has the beef with him. It yeah. is real. Hopefully we'll get them both on. The uh, Joaqu- Joaquin is going to be playing against Manchester United tonight. Have you seen yeah, that? Yeah, that's 55-year-old yeah. Joaquin. Wow, that is an incredible career. Like, he was a hotshot at 17. And um, Kyle Walker in a bit of trouble. Yes, bit of trouble. Just Leave a bit there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll come, we can come back to that whenever yeah. we're allowed to talk about it a bit more. It's the better Scott Parker. Patrick, Patrick O'Connell is the better slink. Yeah, again. yeah. I saw right, um, yeah. Andy Mitten writing about that on the Athletic this week. Yeah. Uh, we obviously had the maker of the documentary on last week. Yeah. Um, so if I actually haven't seen the movie, I'm dying to see yeah, it. Is, is it easy? Does anybody out there know how to get their hands on Don Patricio? That's the story of Patrick O'Connell. Patrick O'Connell's story is unbelievable, right? Yeah. Does everybody know that like he took a bribe on Good Friday <laughs> to fix the Man United Liverpool game, mm-hmm. and that's why he kind of ended up being this troubadour traveling the world. So they win a penalty, and he kicked it miles wide, apparently. Uh, the, he did the game was to be fixed 2-0 for Liverpool right yeah now again details it's like 103 years ago and my memory's not that good no. but um, and then he ends up being the manager of Barcelona during the Civil War and also the winner of a league with Betis which never happened before their only league to date still so um, yeah an incredible story and if uh, you can read it on The Athletic this week but obviously there's a book about it Um Anywho, nothing else happened last, did it? No. Scott Parker, I mean, I feel, yeah, that's I feel the bad for him. He had a, a promising, Slab really promising managerial career at Fulham. And at Bournemouth, he was doing well for so long. And then after that capitulation at Anfield, Couple of earlier this season when they lost by a lot of goals, which is, that's the one time that's happened this year at Anfield. Yeah. He had to, go, had to go after that after his post-match comments. And Club Brugge in the Champions League against Benfica, big time. But they got hammered. Call him, it's Kildare he wants to talk about. It's oh, Kil- yeah. Kildare's demise. That's I just what feel like there is something he wants to say, but I, don't, yeah, I think we covered everything there. Tem- Tempted to fade a bit there, wasn't I? <laughs> oh, well, look, we will actually talk about that with Shawnee Johnson a little bit later on the show. He's going to join us to talk to us a bit about... Um, Cavan's resurgence and also uh, the situation in Kildare and some other stuff um, uh, Owen Farrell's been dropped by England mm. for the rugby Smith. for this weekend Marcus Smith was like sent back to play with the club and generally that's a bad sign mm-hmm. but actually what they were doing was they were giving him a bit of game time and saying come straight back in yeah. Frawley straight into the Ireland setup. Joey Carberry gone we talk about that maybe a little bit later on Scotland rising nothing else happened lads did it? No. nothing else happened no, no. No. If you're Joey Carby, are you a bit um, a bit mixed feelings now at the moment? Not really sure where 
where you stand in the Irish rugby settings, you know, involved the last time, gone again. What does, what does Joy need to do to turn it all around? Joe Let's Co- do 15 minutes on that. His international career is like Roscommon, Roscommon's Allianz League's career. It's the, the yo-yo, up, up and down and up and down. Some players get used to it. Joey's used to it. So, I don't uh, think it'll affect him. Well, I, I think... I think it probably will affect him. He's got a, this is this these next eighteen months. If he's ever going to nail down the number ten slot, you know the window for the World Cup seems to have closed. He'd need to really, you know, fire Munster to glory on two fronts and be absolutely irresistible in his form. Now that that has happened. Uh, if you think back to Alan Quinlan's form to get into the Lions setup, obviously for whatever reason he didn't end up uh, making the Lions tour because of the ban but his form at the end of that season was absolutely spectacular mm. um, and he hadn't been in the Ireland squad so there is a possibility that you can put together a run of form that really impresses the selectors but at this stage it, it feels like the window is shut for Carberry and it's very much open for Frawley who played last weekend at full back um, and the whole notion of Harry Byrne being uh, hothoused has disappeared but um, I see the I see the I see a manager, Eric Ten Hag. Do we know him? Is he, is he yeah, famous? Done quite well. Yeah, very he's well. Known. Talking about one of his players, Bruno Fernandes being an inspiration. Mm. <laughs> did you guys? Did you guys? You know? Did you bury Bruno Fernandes, the love of your lives? Did you turn your back at him? No. Did you, did you forswear allegiance? I, I, I don't think. I don't think one bad performance has proved Nathan's point correctly. Well, I think. I think he well, showed a lot of people. Were, a lot of people were also on Team Nathan. I think he showed a lot of lack of leadership at the weekend, Bruno Fernandez, for sure. Uh, it doesn't necessarily necessitate well, taking the captain's armband off him. I, I would say Rafa Varane should be the captain. Was there a bit of an overreaction? Like, was there also a bit of a he's a lightning rod for all of the anger and abuse that everybody wants to unleash? It's like, we need the scapegoat. Well, people hate him, don't they? What happened? Like, so where was Casemiro at that point in the game? Oh, he'd been taken off. Take crap, yeah. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, Casemiro, he is a one man. He can fix his team with all his culture. And everything. It's like, we were wrong about that. Sorry, but one, one swallow doesn't make a summer, lads. You know, and uh, Cas- one bad performance from Casemiro doesn't make him a bad player. I'm not saying it makes him a bad player either, but you know, he was so bad he was subbed off. Yeah, like, and he has been completely immune from criticism in the aftermath, largely. Whereas Bruno has been a is kind of like emblematic of every single thing Bruno has ever done has been now is kind of in the negative column. You know, because he's a lightning rod. For- Marcus Rashford was photographed in the rags. Over in England uh, at the weekend in his in his massive two hundred twenty five thousand pound car out shopping, and everyone was like, "Rashford spotted in two two five k car just hours after United humiliation." Yeah, like, man drives to shop in yeah, his car. Essentially, um, well, uh, apparently McTominay was down having coffee in a cafe in London, according to Tony Cascarino. Well, it's interesting. It is interesting that like he he drove two hundred. <laughs> 25 mm. miles for a coffee. What about the Vice Veghorst thing? I didn't... Oh, now which bit? The touching the, the sign? sign. Now, obviously, he's, he's come out and explained this and said he was just yeah, trying to stop... Yeah, he came out with the hand. shittest explanation of all time. Weird, I was trying to stop please. Virgil. Me and Virgil were having a wrestling match. Uh, actually, no. He was like, I'm touching the sign because I'm touching the sign. Yeah. I'm not going to be here again in a meaningful way, am I? Well, our one Richie McCormick said, uh, a man of that height, and he would know, Richie's 6'5", you have to Sorry, watch signs. You know, I, you're instinctively put your hand above you so you don't hit your I'm head. I'm calling that out, by the way, because I'm, I'm 6'4", and the last time I was in the office, I'm yeah. pretty sure yeah, I, I, I was crucial. slightly taller than Richie. Oh, wow, shots wow, fired! Wow, wow. The beef is real. We'll get it back on. Yeah. Wow, two beefs. Then, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll try it. Maybe Reggie's right, but I, but I, I, oh, I no, it. hang on. So you can't you can't you can't you can't back down now. No, Shane. no, I'm, I'm not. I'm like my brother's six five and I'm six four, and I would say Richie's probably just under me. 
So the six five thing I call into question. Okay. But now maybe he wears maybe he wears thick shoes. Well, he's playing or, on devil's advocate, Richie, and he played it quite well at the time. But look, I, I don't know about touching. I, I feel like if I was going under the Anfield tunnel, he I, would, I wouldn't need to. He's a Liverpool fan, yeah. yeah, and it's a dream come true for him to play at Anfield, and he touched the sign yeah. because they, that's exactly what happened. Well, he, he, it's he, not he, a big deal. He might he's not play there. He might not play there again. I'm sure he, he kind of had that in his mind. So this is probably my one shot to do this. But Roy Keane was right. You're going out to war. Like touching the sign. I think it's just such an easy thing to. I do too. I do too. There's bigger, bigger deals than that. Of course, there are bigger deals. He's going out to war. Like he's a dose of a move. I'm, is it for a man? United, for a Manchester United player to do that at Anfield, it's a dose of a move. No, 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 no. You're 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 like uh, stealing their symbols. You're 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 breaching their sacred territory. You're like, yeah, I'm going to smack your son. I'm going to beat you up, and it would only hold any water if he'd actually done anything on the field. But he didn't. Would a Millwall or a Spurs player come out blowing bubbles at West Ham Stadium? I don't I mean, think you, you might be lame, bringing James. it up. Yeah, but you can't be doing this at your rival's ground. Like you might be a Liverpool fan, Grant. As a child, that's no, that's no problem. And look, I'm not saying this is a hill I'm going to die on. It's not a massive issue, but he shouldn't have done it. It's stupid. I don't think it's. I. I you're a Manchester United player. Don't be touching the this is Anfield sign. No, you touch the sign, you bang it. If you're Why a ben, not? if you're a Benfica player or you're a Burnley player, Veghorst, do that all you want. Well, but when you're a Manchester United player, and I don't is, know. He, is he still is he still great? Do you all do you all still love Veghorst? The horse, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, is this not actually really good for Manchester United? That's what I said Monday morning. Is there not an angle of this where it's like, okay... I did have the thought that maybe okay. this is the best what, thing. What, losing 7-0 to Liverpool is good? Well, it well, does we focus are, We are so mind. far off where we need to be to be proper uh, title contenders, Champions League winners. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you know, they've, they've got back to credibility now because they're competing for a place in the top four. It's like, But the start, the start of the season, United's ambition was win a trophy and get top four. Yeah, sti- they still are not guaranteed top four. As Andy Mitten very calmly said on Tuesday morning with us that it's undoubted progress this season. So just relax would about you, everything that happened. Would you give up the Carabao Cup not to have been beaten 7-0 by Liverpool? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's an interesting it, question. Because it, it, be this is an all-time humiliation. Like, it has never happened before. It yeah. will never happen in your lifetime again. It is like a, a massive crisis. It's like you know the the oil rig pumping oil in uh, in the Miami uh, or in the there's almost Florida, a lack, off the Florida there's almost coast. A la- there's a lack of respect for Mexico. <laughs> what am I trying to say? <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a lack of respect for Liverpool in all this. But no, we'll, no, no, we'll, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that again. Don't worry. No, a lot no. of it is uh, is a dissemination, disassembly. Liverpool played brilliantly well, and players were written off like Gakpo and Nunez yeah. just performed. Unbelievably on the day. Chemical, old Mosano chemical like, Shane over here spreading. Come on. Come You're on. right, though. It, love. It'll never be forgotten. Like the way um, the 5 0 against Newcastle and 6 3 against Southampton that followed the mid 90s. It'll never be forgotten. Mm. Well, that's Gary Neville pointing in Sky Sports uh, on Sunday. United end up winning the league that season. So, you know, you it's uh, what is it? Failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. And um, wow. this will be a little bookmark in what happened to United. Do you have that, you have that, that Casemiro. Casemiro's performance it kind of reflects Eric Ten Hag's time at United in that it's largely been very, very good. But then when they lose under Ten Hag, it's quite spectacular, isn't it? 7-0 against Liverpool, 6-3 against Manchester City, 4-0 against Brentford. Yeah. There's only been two narrow defeats. That was the first day of the season at home to Brighton, which itself was eye-opening, the 2-1 at Old Trafford. And the other was 3-2 in January at the Emirates against Arsenal. Would you be worried about Lissandro Martinez walking in front of the goalkeeper for the first goal? Yeah. When, I, when it was nil all. Again, I was thinking De Gea's um, view was completely skewered. And also, it took basically very little 
ingenuity from Liverpool to totally destroy the United States at that yeah. level is brutal. Very well. poor. But lads, it's like living a recurring nightmare. Yeah, like, this, is, well, this is four Sorry, I'm, I'm just, you know, Spurs I are shite. I understand. This is never going to happen in my lifetime again either. And so I just want to make sure that we. You we, should have been here Monday. Well, I, we, you know, you I just was unavailable been, for selection. You should, you should have been here. I was really looking forward to talking about Bayern Munich, PSG, Spurs. It's all there in the notes. Podrick Harrington inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame. So it's much to talk about. Look at notes. Yeah, fair. So much to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think we need to say any more about If anybody else wants to bring any uh, Manchester United related content our way over the next two and a half hours we'd love to hear from you uh, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number just titled it Record Breaking Defeat <laughs> that <laughs> historic moment <laughs> I think you can never what, well, do we, what do we think of Tottenham? Love it but I, don't, I don't want it to be said though oh, I'm no, trying no. to cut down on the cursing in the show Oh, what, You uh, are are you? Uh, do we curse we, that much? Oh yeah you, just cur- you, you cursed a while ago you Did didn't realise yeah? No not you Oh okay we got we got to stop the cursing. Um, right, very quickly, some comments. Bruno, he's a sore loser. It doesn't matter whether it's a free he loses, a goal or a match. If he owned the ball, he'd take it home, says Bohemian29. Do you not want some sore losers in your team? Do you not want some people who are like, this is unacceptable? I don't know. <coughs> yeah, I, I think that um, a, a bad moment for him, but actually, like, if you're a manager, you want a couple of those characters. Yeah. Now, you know, the game was gone at that stage. It was just—it was so weird. Yeah, it was. It was very strange. Because half time, so half time, everything was poised nicely. It, it was a really strange second half. Is it? Is it? I don't know. Is this happening? I'd love. I'd love like a data deep dive on the like the explosive ends of matches where like even the Real Madrid's five at Anfield. Mm. Like, would that have happened twenty years ago? Would they have just shut up shop at three two? Certainly, I don't know. Mm. No, I don't know. it feels like it, it's such an out of out of the blue result. Well, Sorry, not result. Uh, no, but the Jerry's talk about the trend in modern football. It is true. Jasmine Baba kind of touched on this yesterday, but Arsenal this season that when they they have the ball, they switch to a two three five formation, and there is uh, there is definitely a lot of gung ho risk taking attacking football that's happening now, and you're seeing it in the Champions League knockout stages. It started. Do you remember the miracle Neymar game well, for Barcelona in 2017? I think. Yeah, that's talking about it on the news yeah, exactly, last night. exactly. That's when, that's why it's fresh in the mind. And Joe was saying, geez, the knockout stages of the last years have been phenomenal in the Champions League. And they largely have. Now, this season's a bit different. They haven't really got going so far in the last 16. Uh, but yeah. there is a, going, a definitely a more cavalier approach. Maybe, maybe it's about cavalier. It was, uh, yeah. All right. It does feel that way. Yeah. And I, I think the 7-0 isn't as, quite, isn't as shocking as it may have once been, but it was still absolutely we did. Yeah. We did a piece with... Um, who was the Jared Houllier-era Liverpool architect of transfers who was making the point that you can't you can't really get centre-backs anymore? Uh, this is going back, I'd say, it could be seven or eight years. And um, we had him on randomly and he was making the point that the biggest dearth of talent coming through European football is centre-backs who can defend. You can have all the ball-playing centre-backs you want who are converted midfielders, basically, but you can't find those defenders who... Just love defending. I just love tackling the way Paul McGrath did. That they're not being spat out by the um, by the academies anymore. Mm. And I, I can't even remember what the theory behind it was. But I do wonder if there's if we're now seeing the the bits where you know it, like uh, Hansen and Lawrenson, if the game had got to three nil, would have got the midfielders, smacked them around the chops, mm. and said, "You're humiliating me," and that's not going to happen. Because I'll break your ankle in training next week. Mm. And, you know, you bring it forward 10 years and it's like Pallister and Bruce and then it's like uh, any of the Manchester United uh, in the latter stages. Like, would Nemanja Vidic have allowed that to happen? No. 
would well no Village used to get destroyed by Fernando Torres well, yeah, but 2-0 well. arch nemesis yeah. 2-0 Liverpool, Liverpool hammered United at Old Trafford with Village what was the score Center. was it 4 4 yeah, yeah but, and so it didn't get to 7 it was, it, was, it was a hammering of sorts I, under, I get your point that my, it didn't my get point to is a, that they stopped at 4 generational scoreline like, but it was yeah. a hammering nonetheless yeah. but anyway, it is interesting because but that, I think that's actually, that, that, that is the exact example there so it stopped at 4 ok like, it was still, I, I would say it was a hammering with a different scoreline Mm. That that's it. I mean, it was but still my the, point the same. Is that this, this, these outliers, it feels like they're happening more because there are fewer. It, it occur, the Liverpool it, lost to Villa and United lost. Or was yeah, yeah, that was United the COVID. The COVID. Six ones, yeah, yeah. That, I think we start that off as COVID thing, but yeah. Anyway. yeah. Right. Anyway, look, uh, Shane was very professional last Monday, and as one person has said, he seems like a really nice guy. Says no, Cal. <laughs> So oh. you're going to take it easy on me. I think they, have, they haven't taken it easy on me this week. No, you've, you. have, you've had a tough, but you've come out the other side. Shawnee Riley makes a good point here. Lads, the United game is blown so out of proportion. Would you rather have Fabinho or Casemiro in 2023? Talking oh. point. A talking point. What do you mean, Fabinho or Casemiro? You know? What sort of a stupid question is that? Well, that's, what, uh, that's the whole point. It's rhetorical. Right. I Sorry. Yeah, you, it's very from Sorry there. Uh, Jer's been sitting at home for the last three days waiting for his turn to rub it in. He'll never walk alone, Jer. I'm not a, I am absolutely not a Liverpool fan. I'm an Aston Villa fan, just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works too, Jer, just sitting at home waiting Mighty for the Villa. text. Yeah. You're uh, right, so you wanted to talk about some other stuff. Well, Spurs, uh, the Conte era is coming to an end, right? Know, Bobby Dwyer's correctly mentioned in the comments here. We're still talking about United 7. I know, I know. You know, I know Bobby, Bobby you're right. Like like we should be talking history. about them. History in the making. Bobby, you're absolutely correct. <clears throat> we'll do that with Martin Lipton later as well. But yeah, like uh, Shane, you were watching the Spurs game last night as well, like myself, we all were. Uh, they were dire, Shocking. really poor. Eric now, dire. Milan were delighted with it in the first half. There was no Sorry, shots. I, I at to Bayern and and PSG. I mean, not watching. I, that. Yeah, I was also. Not I was watching. watching I was watching both as best I could, but no shots at all at half time. And the BT Sports Studio uh, didn't hold back on their criticism of the game. Rio Ferdinand, Peter Crouch, mm. being like, "What is this?" Yeah, Crouch was like, "They need to do the exact opposite of what they're doing now." And look, we'll have John Duggan in later too. Another Spurs angle for you, Bobby, and for everybody else. But it does feel like this um, Antonio Conte era is dwindling with a whimper. Like this guy does not want to be there. Does he, not want to be manager of Tottenham Hotspur. He brings off Kulusevski at one point and he brings on Davinson Sanchez, defender. And the whole crowd's looking around going, what are you doing? We need a goal. What's, what's going on here? And, and it's like Conte, Conte should have taken off with the Milan playing back to Milan because... He doesn't want to be there anymore. And it's funny enough because uh, Harry Kane could have equalised one of the last kicks of the game yeah. with a header from Sand free kick and Magnus pulls off a great save and then within 30 seconds Divock Origi should wrap up the game and the tie and hits the post in a one-on-one. But Milan looked just so much more in control and like if you weren't aware of, of stadium and football you would think that was a San Siro because they were just so comfortable in possession. And um, the thing with Tottenham too and I think it was uh, Glenn Hoddle made the point on BT Sports coverage at half time was that they don't have a player to take on a man. Son is their best bet, but Son is totally devoid of confidence this mm. season. Uh, and it's kind of reflective of Spurs overall, but it just feels like the whole thing is whimpering out and like we're so used to Tottenham being exciting, especially in the last decade in the Champions League. Yeah. They've been brilliant at times. They got to the final in 2019, but they're just so far away from that. And you have to wonder, Harry Kane, who threatened to leave not long ago, really wanted to go to Manchester City when Nuno was briefly in charge. Surely he's gone now. So he's going to go to Manchester United. Is the is the uh, 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 does so that <clears throat> does that work? Is that is that is it just a straight thing? Seems to fit. I mean, uh, yes. Rashford's probably better. I like Rashford at the left. So maybe Harry Kane through the middle. 
I think it works on paper. So basically, it's a cane and son, except it's these two now, yeah. and uh, you have somebody who's vaguely. And so Anthony that, also a, fits in that team. I, w- I yeah. wonder. I wonder. It's very attacking. Anthony Orgonacho, one of the two. I wonder yeah. would Real Madrid be a better bet for him because Karim Benzema can't go on forever. Will have to leave soon. He's mid thirties. Maybe he does. They do need a new centre forward. But the only thing with Kane is that he'll want that Premier League record. Because he's he's the clo- he's really the best bet to overtake Alan Shearer, which feels like that's never going to be beaten. Like Alan Shearer is super in his graphics for the last twenty years, yeah, yeah. all time Premier League goal scorer, and he's so far ahead of everybody else. Would you prefer to be a, a one club legend, a one club man legend with no trophies, or would you prefer to go to a different club at the end of your career and maybe be seen as a traitor by these fans, but win a couple of trophies? Well, you say end of the end of career is crucial part of that sentence. There, if it's the end, I think it's more forgiving. But even just look uh, one one sample size, John Duggan there saying. Um, Kane should go and we'd wish him well because to a Premier League side is different though than going abroad oh go abroad and you're still, you're, you're still a legend yeah, yeah. yeah. Go to Manchester United, but he wants that Premier League record go Kane. to Man United and you're, you're done he want, I, are you done though you are done they you're, you're done you. I think you're done short term but long term they'll look back and they'll still reflect on Harry Kane their hero and remember that he had to leave because they let him down. He should go and have a chat with Saul Campbell and see what uh, Saul Campbell has to say about that. I don't think he's going to go to Arsenal. Well, uh, at the same time, I you know. Think he will. Um, time heals all wounds for football fans. But I think Kane wants that Premier League Saul Campbell's case. Uh, not for him. Yeah. Don't go to your direct rival. Okay, 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 okay. My half-baked theory, I'm, I'm taking it out of the oven and I'm throwing the cake away. Jeremy uh, United were thumped 6-1 by City with Vidic at centre-back. Yeah, another example. But that's recently enough. Okay, okay. Well, inside the last 10 years that was I went to bit of stuff <laughs> Eamon's point here would you see Van Dijk high-fiving Fred the Red before a game at Old Trafford he didn't high-five <laughs> it's, 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 it's not high-five it's like. it's different it does you're, not matter you're like I mean, he was a little bit it did look a little bit like oh, look at it's fucking stupid yeah, because as opposed to like smacking it and going I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show Anfield what they're missing of course That's, that would have been he's playing at a level so much higher than he should be playing of Sorry, course he's delighted with life if a Monaghan player at Kingspan Brefney Park oh. touched the Calvin emblem with, with deference walking out onto the pitch I'd be like what the what, what they, are you doing what if they fist pumped it or fisted it don't, don't do anything to it you know what the narrative would have been had Manchester had won that game <laughs> had, had they won that game in Anfield and the fake horse video came out of him touching the sign do you know what it would have been? It was like, oh, he was trolling them. <sighs> like that's how quickly yeah, these yeah, things yeah. change. I think, I think that, well, like, of course, in, the narrative changes depending on the result. But I mean, yeah, but that's what I mean. It's, in American that's football, it's so silly. the it, whole thing is no. But it's like, don't touch the fact. If you if you do anything on the symbol, petty rivalry is good. Pre-game, if you do anything on the symbol of the match of the other team, it's um anyway. Eamon oh, uh, S here, a uh, very facetious Eamon. On doubt of progress this season, says Cullum. Yeah, last season he lost 4 0 to Liverpool, then 5 0. And this season it's 7 0. Look at the overall season, Eamon. Not this one game. This is the problem with modern football analysis. Nobody, everybody has short term memories. Like, analyse the whole apple. Don't just uh, take one bite. Yeah, I mean, the, oh. the, the problem with uh, living, in the, living in the moment, Cullum, and, and like, you know, feeling alive. I, I do like that too. But also, inspirational in quotes this morning, Cullum. Back a little. Yeah. Thanks, Shane. I was working on a few of them Jesus, overnight. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about PSG Bayern. Would you? We have a few minutes. PSG, last are you, are you, Champions League. Are you writing a self-help book? Is that what's going on with the daily aphorisms? Yeah. No, but no, but now that you say it, live, live, live laugh, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm watching a lot of. Uh, you can have that one. Watching a lot of Dragons Den clips on. My, that's my algorithm at the moment. They're throwing me those. Some of those pictures are incredible. And also that MH370 documentary dropped God, on Netflix. You know what I was just thinking? It looks you, very good. What, what are you saying? You're watching on YouTube. You're watching. Uh, Dragon's Den. What I'm watching on YouTube right now, there's this, this, the Flight Channel it's called, where they recreate 
airline accidents and investigations yeah, and, and kind of research into what happened and you have the cockpit voice recorders. So that's the, the dark holes I'm going down at the moment. So the fact that you just said MH370 when, when that was in my head, strange. It's on Netflix. Uh, an hour and a half per episode. What is this? Wow. How much time do you think these people have? So now, it's just MH370. Malaysia Airlines Malaysia flight Airlines, 2014. Without trace Without to this trace. day. With over 300 people on board. It was, it was bizarre. Still is bizarre. No one knows what happened. Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Yeah. Oh, very, very, very strange. Just disappeared from radar and nobody knows. There's loads of theories about what actually happened. There's an island somewhere where they're yeah, all... Yeah, basically. basically that, that, that is one theory. That is that's one theory. But to segue uh, very cleanly into this, PSG, last 16 record, right? <laughs> they, six of their last seven knockout games, PSG, they've lost. It's the fifth time in seven seasons that PSG have been knocked out in the last 16. I know they got to the final not too long ago in 2020, lost by the odd goal to Bayern Munich. They were very good that season. Neymar was excellent that campaign. Of course, he's injured for the rest of the season. But Kylian Mbappe was completely anonymous last night. Now, the surface was very poor to him. Mm. Service, but he was still largely anonymous even when he had the ball. And like Bayern were just so far superior and should have won by way more than the 2-0 that they did on the night. But PSG, like, what, what is this project about? Yeah. Where's it going? Like Sports Ramos, washing, that's what it's about. Ramos was their uh, biggest threat. He nearly scored from two headers. I mean, pulled off great saves from the Bayern keeper and that was it there was no cohesion in attack he, whatsoever he, no patterns has he announced what he's doing next season Did I, is he, do we know what he's doing because like I would be still keen to have a little bit of Sergio Ramos in my life if I was in the Premier League yeah mm. wouldn't that be amazing if you're like trying to you know I don't know he might he might be gone past the point of that having well Spain have shafted him any influence he's had to retire because yeah. they don't want him but he, he was superb last night. Isn't he younger than Thiago Silva? Is he, is he that much younger? He's 36. Most, I think most players are, aren't they? Like Thiago, I think he's one of the oldest players still playing. He's like 38, he's 38 isn't he? Yeah. But, um, 38, yeah. So he's got two years left, you know? Yeah, yeah. By, Bayern, were, Bayern were very impressive last night. And I was talking to Feligan before the show today and thinking, who are the biggest threats this season in the Champions League? There's no real one dominant side, which often actually feels the case. You're talking Real Madrid, of course, just by muscle memory alone, even if they're not playing that well. Manchester City, you can't rule out. And then Bayern are probably the third team. Bayern are always kind of rated in the final mm. stages or oh, they could do something here but judging by the performance last night they're so far ahead of PSG yeah. who in fairness in the first leg in France weren't bad themselves PSG but they were they, it just looked like they weren't that bothered last night like and you're looking at Lionel Messi who's had a phenomenal phenomenal few months he every time he got the ball for my count he gave it away mm. every single time he was muscled off the ball yeah but he, he's every just after winning the World Cup I mean he's allowed well, what's a little that bit mean, of though? Like, sure, if that's the case then don't play him well you know I mean, it's hard to know. Uh, his dad was spotted with Joan Laporta this week, so there's a possibility of him going back to Barcelona, which would be the homecoming that really would be the right thing for him as opposed to going off to enter Miami mm. to work with Phil Neville. I mean, is it Xavi or Phil Neville? Which of these two football geniuses will I yeah. play out my time with? I don't know, maybe he goes, does a season at Barcelona and then does three seasons yeah. into Miami for... You know, until he's 41 and scores 40 goals each season in America and has the time and Brian Messi explodes and he gets, you know, uh, becomes a billionaire again. I don't know. That's all. That's all. I, the point about Paris Saint-Germain is like, this is what happens when you don't actually have a plan. This is the, the they're butting up against the glass ceiling of turning Mbappe into the quasi-manager. Mm. Like making yeah. the, making an individual the most important in the whole thing and then not, not fully understanding exactly what the point of football is you know mm. to be fair Jan Sommer played quite well in goals last he night was good, but his distribution was uh, sometimes mm. um, a bit dodgy but yeah he was very good he made a fantastic save from Ramos's header uh, which would have been which would have given PSG an undeserving lifeline shout out just before we go oh 
to the blossoming of Eric Maxim Chupa Moting, the former Stoke City striker at 33 years of age. He's got 17 goals in all competitions this season for Bayern. He actually had a disallowed goal last night before his mm. legitimate goal. Why was that, I saw the replay. Why was that disallowed? I didn't get it. He, he, he flicks it, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, well, didn't look offside. It was uh, Thomas Muller was coming in at the back post, and I th- it felt like he. Uh, I think it was determined that he interfered with play. Right. I actually, didn't think he was offside himself. No, it, was, it, it looked it looked like a fair goal, but it wasn't given. But within minutes, he taps in very confidently and comfortably to give Bayern the first goal in the night. Uh, taken off shortly afterwards, but even his whole distribution and build-up play—you can see this is a guy playing at the maximum of his confidence and capability. Oh, I see what you did there the maximum. Mm. Hey, say. Oh, well, that uh, was on purpose. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, that, that one could have been workshopped a bit. Could have been. Uh, Joshua Kimmich is a, is a brilliant footballer. I think he's one of the reasons why Bayern could well win the Champions League. But yeah, uh, I'm all on board the Bayern train. Uh, headlines very quickly: uh, down and drought. Another year with no trophy leaves Conte and Kane Spurs futures in real jeopardy. Harry Viderci. Oh, the morning to you. Italian sob as Kane is floored. Or is it Italian SOB? Oh, son of a bitch. Mm. Italian SOB. Italian sob. Was he crying? Was Conte crying? I saw pictures of Conte crying last night. I didn't know if they were contemporaneous or historic. I didn't see him crying, but he looked like he wanted to cry at times on the sideline. Yeah, for sure. Like, if someone takes your gallbladder out, you're going to be a little bit, oh. like, less, you know, um, uh, do I need all this? Yeah, he needs to go back to Italy, and I, I think he, he wants to himself. He was even talking after the match, he's like, oh, I think, you know, maybe they'll sack me. In so other words, hint, hint, sack me. Richarlison uh, has oh, also yeah. been speaking to Brazilian TV. Yeah, I've got he, the He quotes. ain't happy. TNT Sports Brazil. It's been a shit season. Um... Suddenly, Stellini put me on the bench against Wolves. He put me on for five minutes. I asked why. They didn't tell me anything. And yesterday, they asked me to take a test at the gym that if I was good, I would go to the game. And at the time of the game, they left me on the bench. These are things that it is not possible to understand. Let's see what he, Conte, will say tomorrow. But there are no fools here either. I'm a professional. I work every day and I want to play. There are minutes left, time left. This season, excuse the word, it's been shit. Because I don't have minutes. I suffered a little with injury. Yeah, he's... He's not a happy bunny, Richardson. I think that you could really recast Spurs quite quickly if you get the signings right. So if you sell Kane and you sell Son and you have Richardson, then you're going to have like a lot of money to invest. You know, they, the team around the, the new manager comes in and has a quarter of a billion pounds to spend because mm. there'll be at least 120 plus. Say it's 140. That's 140 from those two, and then they add in another hundred that they're going to have to spend. They have been spending anyway, and all of a sudden you could sign two world class players, add them into that team, have a manager who knows what they're doing and who's like really into it. Mm. It's not not beyond the bet. Like the the Spurs situation with that stadium and the match day revenue and the value of the club. It's a pretty attractive job if they get the right person. It looked like they had the right person. Yeah, it looked like it looked like for a while like Conte might stay. Like that was one of my other half-baked theories. Oh, this might be the one. That this is the exception that proves the rule. I don't think Pochettino's the answer either, is he? He's the seven to four oh, favorite. I, I would definitely bring him back. Tommy Tuchel five to one. They're, so, they're soulmates. Pochettino and Spurs. They are soulmates. Why would you go back? Oh, go back all day long. That's an admittance. Right. Oh, admission no, no, that, that particular relationship was special. That was he got them to the Champions League final. Yeah, but they played terrible that season. They lost by twelve games. Mm. They got to the final, and when they were playing well, they nearly won the league twice. They they got the they got. I don't know. Okay, It'd be so like Ronaldo going back to United. They it's got gonna, Ajax in the work. semis. Like, you ain't going to get Ajax. Hags, Ajax yeah. yeah. I mean. <laughs> Ball is best. <laughs> OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. It's a minute past eight. We have uh, Alison Miller and Craig Chalmers coming up after that. Martin Lipton's going to talk Spurs. One JD, please. 
at 8.40 ahead of the uh, players of the Tour Championship, which is this week of players. Players, yeah. Uh, Shawnee Johnson's going to join us at around about uh, 8.40 this morning and uh, we'll bring you some Conan O'Donnell goodness. Uh, the story of uh, an Irishman playing in New Zealand. Yeah, it's yeah. Our, our own Cameron conducted that interview. Should be very good. Um, in the ad break, you're going to hear uh, the latest from Coy Gig, uh, Kathleen Karen, Emma Byrne, and Emma Carroll spoke about Kim Little's brilliance. The Koi Gig pod on Off the Wall is in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Up next, Scotland, Ireland. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Right, to rugby. Ireland play a resurgent Scotland in Murrayfield at the weekend. I'm delighted to say Alison Miller and Craig Chalmers are with us to help preview the game this morning. Uh, you're both very welcome. Craig, I might start with you. What's the confidence level like as a man who I think our record show never lost to Ireland? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, back in the 90s. Uh, we, I played nine. I played nine, one nine. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time to play against Ireland. Uh, but uh, yeah, listen, confidence is high. I think... Uh, Obviously, the uh, supporters are still a bit pessimistic at times. Um, journalists are talking up a little bit more than they have done over the years. We've managed to win two games in a row. Unfortunately, the 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 ball got dropped in Paris a couple of weeks ago, but it was a good performance and uh, we showed a lot of good stuff. But yeah, it's going well. I think the players are just keeping their feet in the ground and this is a chance for us to win a, win a triple crown for the first time since 1990. So I know you guys have had a lot of success in the Six Nations Championships, Grand Slams, um, Triple Crowns, but we've not. So it's a huge weekend, huge weekend for Scottish rugby coming up. Gregor Townsend was clearly learning on the job when he got the gig. You know, he'd had a, a, a brief but excellent period before he got it and was clearly the right man for the job at the time, but has become a much better coach, it seems, over uh, that period even you look at the relationship with Finn Russell the, ma- the maturity of both of them really at this stage to be able to find an accommodation whereas a little bit earlier in his career neither of them could find that maturity is that a fair comment? No I think it's a really fair comment and I think uh, probably after the World Cup in 2019 I think probably Gregor probably was maybe lucky to hold on to his job but he did and he changed then he got a bit more pragmatic um, then there was issues with Finn and, uh, you know, the, they just didn't, didn't get on. Personalities didn't, they had big clash. Few issue, a few issues there. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the moment, they've, they've made up. They seem like best buddies. Um, you know, so I think it's, Greg has actually been gone back in, he's gone back into a bit more coaching, a bit more hands on on the field, which I think has helped the relationship as well. You know, they're much closer. So I think, uh, yeah, they're going really well. And to be fair, I mean, Finn's playing well. You know, there's been patches of games that he's, he's coming in and out of the game. But the forwards have played much better. You can't, you know, if you play fly off for any team, you rely on your forwards to produce a platform for you able to play, so you can play off quick ball and, you know, to be able to play in the front foot. And the forwards have been outstanding so far. You know, they fronted up in Paris, where in Paris in, in, in the past they've got blown away. Um, you know, this time it's not happening. But this Irish team's a different different kettle of fish, totally. I think they're they're so you know, they sort of know each other so well. Um, but you know, and they're playing so well. Number one team in the world. This would be a huge scalp for us. But, you know, it's gonna I think it'll be a very tight game. Alison, we had uh, Andy uh, Dunn in studio on Wednesday night rugby and off the ball quite recently and tell you what, he was confident. 
he was saying there's a lot of talking going on in Scotland and I think he said <laughs> 10, 10 to 15 points was going to be the, the margin of victory. Are, are you as confident, Alison, as, uh, as Andy might have been? <laughs> well, there's no doubt like Scotland are much improved. They've got like a really strong central partnership. I think their pack are very cohesive, really good ball carriers. They're in that lovely place where there's no pressure for them now because Ireland are number one and they're favourites. So they can really thrive on that if they uh, take that dog as the underdogs and go there because all the pressures on Ireland, they're a team performing. Um, they're playing some really good rugby. I think they rue their start against France as in they got off to a like horrific start but really clawed back the game. Uh, like Finn Russell is a genius. I love the way he plays, but he's also, he kind of reminds me of Quade Cooper at his best. At times could do something brilliant, but then, you know, he obviously can do things um, at times maybe you don't want him to do, but that's his brilliance. Um, Scotland's back three are really dangerous. I've always been a fan of Van der Barth, but it seems like the rest of the world are coming around to his brilliance. I think he's such a well-rounded winger and, He'll offer that physicality if there's if there's not much space. But I think um, what Ireland will really need to do is what he's mentioned there about slowing down Scotland's uh, quick ball. Like any team, if you can um, stop that quick quick rock ball and stop that go ahead and getting over the gain line, I think you'll stop Scotland's main threats. But um, yeah, they are a much improved team. Their line out is very good. As I said, their back three is dangerous. If Ireland kick to Scotland, and and um, it's something James Ryan mentioned yesterday in a press conference that their their line chase hasn't been as good as it could. And if if you let guys like Stuart Hogg or Vandermeer have those uh, disconnections in defence, they could really punish us. So I think Ireland um, are probably too good uh, for Scotland at the moment. But this Scotland team are really on the up, and their confidence will be high, and they're going to be underdogs. But I suppose this, if you were to Make a good point to think how many of how many of the Scotland team would you put in the Irish team at the moment? I'm not sure, but it's going to be a great game. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say yeah. A lot of the Scots would feel pretty confident on a, a, a Lions tour that they would be good enough to beat out their Irish counterparts because that's the level of, of confidence they have at the moment. Um, Craig, the, the reason that it seems to all be coming together is, is you know, uh, obviously loads of factors. Uh, the improvement in the forwards play. There's a, been a forwards coach who's kind of matured in, in his role as well I think over the last two and a half three years but the fitness the, the most of their best players are fully fit most of your best players are fully fit at the moment and that seems to have been the first time in a long time um, that Scotland have actually had largely a full deck to deal from Yeah there's been much more consistency and selection uh, you mentioned the forwards coach I used to coach with John DL who's a forwards coach at Melrose uh, many years ago and he's a fantastic coach, and he'll bring the best out. He's bringing the best out of them. He's just been given time to do that. But um, you know, there's a lot of factors this weekend. Lots of factors. Stuart Hogg's hundredth cap this weekend as well. Um, One hundred caps for Scotland. I think it was his hundredth cap last week, which was included his Lions tour, uh, Lions cap. But I think there'll be the, the, the continuity and the understanding of what they're trying to do is getting close to what Ireland are doing. Ireland. Have Ireland know each other so well. So many of the players in that starting lineup for Ireland, they play the same province. I think that familiarity um, is starting to to work with Scotland, and uh, you know we seem to be on the same page for the first time for a number of years. We were very very inconsistent, 
and uh, we've got rid of that a little bit over the last few months. And you know, we've got some close games against the All Blacks who we've never beaten. And uh, I think this game on Saturday will be even tighter. It's on a Sunday. One of the big things that I'm looking at is four or five of the Irish players probably coming back into the team this weekend. I haven't played for a month as well. It's really, really important that Scotland have a good start. If Scotland can get a good start and, and are in that game with about 10, 15 minutes to go, I think it's, I think it's going to be there for the taking for us. But if we're not and we're off it by the slightest margin, 5, 5 10%, Ireland will crucify us. It's a fair point, actually, that um, a lot of our players aren't fully up to speed, Alison. They've been talking a good bit in the camp about how they pride themselves on training, preparing players for match day, and that seems to have been the case up to this point. And, and to Craig's point, we've started all our games really well recently. Um, so what, what do you expect from those returning players? How quickly will they be able to find a groove? I suppose the big thing that Ireland have always been working on the last while is building their depth and they've, you know, they've managed the game so far without those, those key players that like are due to come back. So it's how Andy Farrell decides, will he put them, like, does he put Henshaw straight back in at 12? Um, I think Ringrose is good to go and I'm not sure about that, but, um, like someone like Henshaw, does he come straight back in? Does he put him on the bench? Um, obviously, um, Furlong is, a big loss um, but other players have been doing well uh, Jemison Gibson Park will he come back in at nine um, yeah, obviously they've they've backed those players and they've backed how they train to be able to get them up to speed so it's how Andy Farrell manages does he go full out and put those key players back in or does he put some of them back in leave some of them off are they ready That that's up to Andy Farrell but um yeah, like that that could be an issue because you get momentum from playing games, you know, you get used to your partnerships, you get a feel for the championship. But I think they'll back those players to come in. It's how many they put in straight out is is the question. I'm not sure what way he's going to approach that, especially when players have been playing well. So um for me the big thing would be twelve. Like what is what is Andy Farrell going to do with twelve? He's had Aki there. Obviously, he looked totally out of his comfort zone at 13. To be expected, different position um, defensively completely. Um, you've had Stuart McCluskey playing well. Um, I suppose the problem, as I said before, is our 13 defensively without Ringrose really noticed. I suppose problems we don't see when, when Ringrose is playing or does he put Henshaw on at 12? So that to me would be a very interesting one. Uh, Connor Murray's been playing very well at 9. Um, does Gibson Clark come back in? So these are all things that we're going to see um, when the squad's collection comes out, but I'm not sure how they'll approach it. Um, obviously, having a player like Furlong coming back in in that front row um, will be vitally important. But as I said, they do back their players to get up to speed in training. Is- and it's been a big proponent of this, te- or of this team, how fit they are, and their fitness, how how they play and their... So it's ball and play, the minutes of the ball and play, I suppose that doesn't come, that comes from their training as well. So the players are fit enough to go back in. Craig, is there something different about the Scottish mindset this year compared to recent years? Because at 19-0 down in Paris, you're thinking, well, quite easy for any team to fold over here and, and completely capitulate. But Scotland showed a lot of heart and fight in that second half, albeit didn't quite get over the line. But to get back to within four points in Paris was a, was, was a sign of a Scotland that's, that's different this time around. 
a different mentality. I think, uh, you know, we've got, we've, as I said, mentioned before, we got very close to the All Blacks. We got ahead of the All Blacks. They came back at us in the in November. Um, but they know they're not far away. And I think it's just been, for me, it's just been the consistency in selection um, over the last five, six games that's been the difference for Scotland. You know, as you said before, not too many guys out, out injured. We've got one or two out injured, you know, R- Rory Darge and uh, young uh, uh, young winger, I can't remember his name, Jeez, too early in the morning. Uh, but <laughs> we've, got, we've got one or two injuries still, but we just showing our depth. We've got much more depth than we've had before. We've got, okay, we've got a couple of uh, wingers who are big and physical. They didn't get the ball the last game. You know, Van der Merver and uh, Stain are, are spring jocks. They've not, uh, they've not had much ball the last couple of games. So, you know, we need to get the ball into their hands. We need to get them involved. I need to ask questions of the Irish midfield, like they did and like they got asked in, in Italy. We don't know what Ireland are going to pick. But I think nowadays the Scots will be, you know, we know how dangerous Ireland are and how good they are and how disciplined they are and the way they play. But it's just, I think that we're more worried about ourselves these days. And I think that's really, really important. You've got to look at yourself first and get what you're doing right. I think our midfield's been outstanding. I think uh, Tui Pilotto has been one of the key players in, a, in our team. Just his communication and his skill sets. You know, he's been, he's been playing so well with Hugh Jones, um, who's a real cutting edge for us in midfield at 13. He's sort of come back to his form of maybe two or three years ago. And, uh, you know, Finn's getting all the plaudits, which which is which happens when you know teams are playing well. They fly ass and all they get a pat in the back, but it's the guys outside them, guys around them are playing so well. I think Ben White as well. You've got to mention him, the scrum half who's come in this year and made a real mark for himself. You know, pushing out Ali Price, you know, British line experienced player. So uh, you know, I think uh, you know, I think there's real confidence in the squad. They seem happy. There's smiles in the faces. The coaches are getting on with the players. They're having a couple of beers, you know. Hey, nobody's nobody's, nobody's going out too late, too yeah. late at night or the wrong nights. They're all out. Actually, two weeks ago in uh, in Edinburgh, but no, sorry, four weeks ago in Edinburgh after the Welsh game, they're all out. The whole squad were out together, the coaches, players together, having beers in a in a establishment in Edinburgh, um, which is great to see. You know, yeah. you didn't get back that, that back in my day when well, you were allowed to go go drinking. So I, that, so, uh, that was the point. Yeah, I was no, listen, there seems to be a real there seems to be a real uh, good feeling in the camp, and it's not one of overconfidence. So don't listen to what Andy Dunn says, or you know, getting people put that put that in the boxes. You know, Scotland are on a good track. They're not overconfident. The public are really really nervous about this one because we know how good Ireland are, and we respect them hugely. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, I think it's just a great feeling in the camp, and you know we we got the opportunity to win something this year, you know. So you know this is a chance on Sunday, and you know I, I don't think anybody likes coming to Murrayfield these days. I think it's a really tough place to come and play rugby, um, and if the crowd can get up and can start well, we can put some real pressure on Ireland. It's really really important to do that early doors. Uh, Craig Andy Dunn's comments seem to have um, certainly been noticed. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's. I think he's picked it up from. I think Rog actually said that. Rog mentioned that a few years back he got a bit angry one day, and Rog does get a bit angry sometimes. But um, yeah, us five halves do. We, you know, we, we throw toys at the pram then again. But, <laughs> but listen, I think uh, I think uh, he mentioned you know this putting guys back in the boxes. 
it's not the players. The players have never got. And as somebody, as somebody, as Tom English has said the other day, you know, when Stuart Hall gets asked how are Scotland going to get on this year in the Six Nations, he's, he's not going to say they're going to get beat, are they? They're going to, they're going to be positive. Unfortunately, that inconsistency has always hovered over us. Um, this time we won two games in a row. First time since 1996 that we've won two games in the five or six nations in a row. So, you know, we got a bit excited. We're getting excited. We, we lost to France, but. We've got opportunity this weekend to uh, to make up for the the, the Paris defeat, which yeah. you know it was a game we could have won. It was definitely a game we could have won. So it's one game at a time for this team, and I know that I think maybe the Irish are maybe a little bit more nervous about us than we are about them this time round, because I think we've shown a lot more consistency and a lot more fluidity yeah. in our play. Well, and I think that maybe the Irish get a bit worried and maybe Andy's just a bit nervous. So, well, yeah, yeah you know. I mean, that's very possible. Um, Alison, <laughs> to the point we started this where uh, Craig never lost to Ireland, we were certainly chalking down that's an automatic win for us against Scotland recently. You know, there was just a, a significant well, gap. Was <laughs> and, and, and we were doing the same in the World Cup, but all of a sudden we can't do that, right? So, Alison, this matters. Like, if, if Ireland can beat Scotland and just put a massive doubt in their heads, that's going to be useful when we're in France later on in the year. Yeah, yeah, no, I suppose um, a lot can happen from now to the World Cup. But um, look, Scotland have really improved. There's no doubt about that. We've, we've said that at the start of the programme here. Um, but like Ireland, it is an interesting group in the World Cup. And I suppose, you know, winning is a habit and the psychological benefit of winning, you can't play that down. Um, but at the same time, I think... Andy Farland, the squad will be just concentrating this game today. Um, I suppose they're, they are preparing for a World Cup, but they're, as they all say, and every great player says now, it's one game at a time. So, um, Ireland will have to improve on certain areas though, because if you look at like, well, they're going to have to target Finn Russell. Um, he is really lethal when there's disconnections in defense and he'll, he'll pick off those disconnections and, and let players through. And like, as you're saying there, those two centres, they have been really impressive. Um, I've been really impressed with you, Jones. I love the way he plays. He's such a dangerous player. He can make anything happen if those disconnections in defence are there. So um, we're going to have to improve our connections. We had, I think it was 20 missed tackles in the first half against Italy. There was issues in defence. Sometimes we look vulnerable. Um, we can look vulnerable when a team... Um, can do what we're not expecting them to do when they really go at us. So that, that's something that we're, we're going to have to look at. Um, our back row is going to be really important in the game to try and slow down that uh, Scottish ball and, and not let them attack. Um, yeah. But in terms of what you're asking, I just think Andy Farrell will be looking at this game today and, or to, well, not today, obviously, at the weekend and focusing on the game at hand and Okay. What Ireland can do and trying to improve those aspects from the last game because um, Ireland are playing really well, but it's certainly not perfect in some areas. So no. they're trying to clean up those those small areas. And I suppose if you look like someone like Porter, who maybe needs to improve his discipline a little bit. I think Scotland might try and go at him. He's given away a lot of penalties. So um, yeah, but all right. It'll be key to cutting down Finn Russell's time and space. Really, really important. It's in the melting pot for sure. Alison Miller and Craig Chalmers, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million, folks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Andy Dunn has... Um, Stoked the fire. Yeah. I love that, though. We need this. Do you know, you well, need- look, if you're going to be the number one team in the world, you're going to have to 
Can't make an omelette without cracking some eggs. Didn't Cunny, was it before the Welsh game? Earlier on in the tournament, we were like uh, asking Cunny about rivalry with the Welsh, and he actually said that he always felt the rivalry with Scotland was filled with a bit more vigour uh, and disdain, maybe. Uh, poke the bear tomorrow. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I, I like this though in the build-up. You need you need a little bit of um, yeah. bit of fire. I do think that this match matters for the World Cup in a way that, like, never give a sucker an even break. Mm. You know, if we beat them now, I think there's far less chance of them beating us in a few months' time. Depends on the nature of the beating, doesn't it? Well, if it's a one or two point win, then all of a sudden, if it's like a fluky ah. last minute drop goal, then they're suddenly feeling, yeah, we're alive. Whereas actually, if we just go out and control the game mm. and win by ten to fifteen points, then we're in their heads entirely when it comes to the World Cup in France. Maybe that game, is that game in Paris? I think the, the big games are yeah, Paris. Yeah, October 7th, Paris. Yeah. Right. Uh, OTBAM with Gillette. With Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now. Uh, as I said a little bit earlier on, the back page headlines are all suggesting that it's Arrivederci for Antonio Conte after uh, the team was booed off at halftime and again, boos... Um, in the uh, Spurs Stadium last night. Martin Lipton is with us to talk to us about this. Martin, good morning to you. Good morning. Is there any way this isn't the end for not just Conte, but maybe some of the most important figures in Spurs history? Well, we'll see about the latter, but for the former, yeah, he's gone. The question is when. Do they let it drag on to the end of the season? Inevitably, inexorably falling apart further and further? Or do they act now? and get in either next season's manager, who I still suspect will be Maurizio Pochettino, or if they can't get him immediately, you know, let Ryan Mason take it over. There is no appetite from any fan, I don't think, for it to continue. More importantly, there's no appetite from the manager for it to continue. He even said that himself, didn't it? Well, maybe they can, you know, agree for it to happen sooner. I mean, we know what's happening now. The game's up. Let's just, I think they should just bite the bullet and do it now. But I'm not, I'm not Daniel Levy. Um, he might think, well, we're going to pay him for two months anyhow. We might as well keep with him for two months, but I wouldn't. Yeah, the the, uh, the there's still a really good chance that they could finish in the top four. Like that's not ridiculous at all. If if you know if they had a manager who was fully tuned in and they had a plan and they had something that was forward looking and everybody was rallying around, like the form of the other teams around them is not so amazing that you couldn't see a situation where they could squeak into top four which would be transformational when it comes to the summer and trying to sign players so there's actually a lot to play for and that's why I think they should do it now um, I don't think necessarily that a change of manager would spark a resurgence of form but it might do and it's preferable to this just creeping sludge which is enveloping the entire squad and team and club and fan base uh, and it is unfixable it's, you know, sometimes things be, reach a tipping point. And I thought before last night that it would be a defining moment that either, you know, they won and he'd go through at the end of the season or they'd go out and they would have to get rid. And that, I, I think, is what has, has happened now. Uh, that performance was pitiful from start to finish. And that comes from the manager. He sets the tempo. He sets the approach. There was no tempo. There was no approach. It was the same tedious, stultifying, boring rubbish that has been actually the hallmark of the entire season. That's the issue, Martin, isn't it? Like, the results, yeah, have been poor uh, in stretches, but the performances and, and trying to watch Spurs has been a chore. Because uh, And you can sense it with the fans as well. There was times during the match last night you could hear the players on the pitch because the atmosphere was so poor. So clearly there's a disconnect well, 
they have no faith in, in, in what they're watching. And you can understand why. I don't think Tottenham have played well this season. All season. They've had the odd game, but they haven't had a, a run of form. We thought, yeah, actually, they're playing quite well now. Now, look, yes, it hurts when you lose Ben Tanko as your best midfielder. Yes, you could do with the goalkeeper. But that's not the reason they didn't win yesterday. They didn't win yesterday because they didn't have the spark or ingenuity. And let's be honest, they were lucky to get away with a nil-nil. I mean, Milan, who are not a good team and will go out in the next round, were infinitely better over the two legs. And they're not very good. You you were making the point there. You, you get the new manager in, and, and if it's going to be Pochettino, would there be any barrier to them getting Pochettino or Tuchel now? What like what would prevent them if they're going to do this business in the summer? Give that manager the opportunity to get the team into the Champions League. The only barrier is if they didn't fa- fancy doing it. You know, there's nothing to stop them. They're both available. They're both unemployed. They're both waiting for a call from a club. Some of they may decide it's too late to come in now. And we risk being reputationally damaged in terms of what we can do uh, with this bunch of players. Or, or they may not trust the owner to give them enough money to buy more players, different players, in the summer. We don't know. I mean, the one thing you know is that Pochettino is aware of exactly what Daniel Levy is all about. They are still on good terms. Um, and it will galvanise, uh, I wouldn't say every fan, because that's not true, but it would galvanise, I suspect, the majority of the supporters if Pochettino came back. Peter Crouch now, made, sorry, Martin, Peter, Peter Crouch made the point after the game last night, and it was a very valid one, that what is the purpose and point of resting players in the FA Cup against Sheffield United for the Premier League and for the Champions League if you're going to go out and perform like that? Like Some of the team selections have been a bit bonkers from the outside looking in. Well, if you say that, but you look at the team he picked against Sheffield United, that should have been comfortably good enough to beat Sheffield United reserves, particularly given the bounce the team was, should have been in after beating Chelsea the previous Sunday. But it's not your strongest uh, team. The Spurs haven't won a trophy in so long. Put out yeah, your but strongest they team. it shouldn't have mattered because that should have been good enough. And they did pick the first team against Wolves and they did pick the first team against Milan, a version of it. But at some point, the players, certain players, have got to start taking responsibility for their inaction or their failures or their disappointment. Son has been very poor this season. He's been outstanding for Tottenham for eight years, but this season he's been really poor. Richarlison's moaning, and I understand why he might moan. He's got two goals all season. It's not enough. Um, Kulisewski, since he came back from the injury, has not been the player he was before the injury. Now, maybe that's because he tried to get back too early and has suffered as a consequence. Um, Romero is a red card waiting to happen every single game. He doesn't He doesn't think. He's a, he's a World Cup winning defender. He's an outstanding player, you would say. And yet, he's a liability. And that red card, just like the one against Manchester City, you knew it was coming before his first booking. Like you mentioned Kulisevsky. Uh, granted, as you say, his form hasn't been great this season, but when Spurs need a goal, as they did last night... What, what's Conte doing taking off a player like Kulisevsky for, for a defender in Davinson Sanchez? Like You could sense by the Spurs fans' reaction in the stadium as well. They were like, well, what's going on here? Like sh- Some of the in-game decisions are raising eyebrows, I feel, Martin. I sort of understand why that was, because the one thing you couldn't afford was to overcommit when you haven't got... when you Remember, when you didn't have Dyer on the pitch before it started, and you'd already taken Emerson off, so you had no natural defenders on the pitch. And that more likely you'd be exposed on the counter if you overcommit. So I, I, I sort of get that tactically. 
albeit he's ended on Davinson Sanchez, which is another issue altogether. Um, but it it played to the the feelings of the fans that once again he's a defensive, boring, not interested in playing football type of coach. I don't actually believe that, but I do think. And I said, I, I think actually there is there were sound tactical reasons for that swap. It just it doesn't look that way if you don't score. Uh, to go back to what might happen now, I, uh, just thinking about it, one of the reasons maybe you don't want to come in yet is because you're not sure if Harry Kane will stay or leave in the summer. And if you're the manager who comes in now, then it'll look like your decision or you've been influencing or been unable to influence Harry Kane to stay. So perhaps you want to come in after that decision has been made and then be free of any association with that decision. No, because everyone in the world knows it's Harry Kane's decision. You know, it, like if he decides he wants to stay, then he stays. If he decides he wants to go, he tells Daniel Levy he wants to go. No manager can alter that because we, we, we've been here before. Um, I wouldn't blame Kane if he had enough, to be honest. Uh, where he want to go, where he could go, now, I mean, I think United are having a little push at it. Let's see. Um, a few weeks ago, I thought Kane was going to stay. I think things were in the right direction. Now I suspect it, it, it may have changed again. He really, in his heart of hearts, wants to t- stay at Tottenham. But two years ago, he felt he couldn't stay. And that's why he pushed for the City move. And if he has the same view this time, I don't think anyone could really blame him. If he was to, uh, say, just to play this out, say Tuchel arrives and Harry Kane decides that he wants to leave, is there still not some kind of residual sense, well, you weren't good enough to be able to convince him? And are, do the Spurs fans automatically give Tuchel a free pass if Kane uh, can't be convinced to stay? Whoever comes in, the fans will accept that it's not the manager's responsibility or fault. I don't think. Um, you know, they could. Spurs, if you remember all those years ago, got in Glenn Hoddle to try to persuade uh, Sol Campbell not to leave. And it didn't happen. And, it, and he still left. Because sometimes a player makes that decision. No one blamed Hoddle at the time. Um. Who would you prefer to see? Who who would be the most likely to be successful? Because Pochettino obviously would be going back to a scenario that uh, he got burnt out in the last time. He's obviously older and wiser and, and feels like he could go back and, and deal with the powers that be in a way that wouldn't result in the same thing again. But it would be unusual enough for managers to go back somewhere when the uh, situation had ended the way it did previously. Well, I think the reality, as I've said before, that rather than sacking... Uh, Pochettino when they did they should have just given him a, a sabbatical to the end of the season and say come back in July when you're refreshed because you're absolutely shot to bits uh, after five years you were emotion- he was emotionally spent and the Champions League run basically took its toll now you could say actually in that last year before then they weren't great away form was appalling but I think there comes a point where you know, these days managers don't go on forever and there, there is a natural tipping point um, but when you come back again it, it's, a, it's a fresh start I I would go for Pochettino. I think it would be the the popular choice. I think it would be a right the right choice. I think Pochettino feels there's unfinished business at the club and that he can take things on. And he does come back having won trophies, which of course was the criticism made of him before. Now you might say anyone can win trophies in France at PSG. Well, maybe they can, but that doesn't change the fact that he did do quite well at PSG and he did win the league and he did take them deep into the Champions League. Sorry, Martin. If if Harry Kane does does leave for another Premier League club, say that is Manchester United, would that negatively impact his legacy with among some Spurs fans? He's clearly a club legend, but 
you know, you, you imagine if he heads abroad, it's not quite as as controversial as say he joins a Manchester United. Will that impact Spurs fans' feelings at all on him? Some will, but I don't think the majority will. I think the majority would accept that he's more than given of himself for a decade and that he deserves to try and win something elsewhere. Um, you know, Sheringham left and came back. Uh, and he was as welcome back as he was when he was there first time. Uh, that was admittedly a long time ago, but football fans haven't changed that much, have they? I, I wonder if, if Kane was to leave, would they start to build that attack around someone like Richarlison? But uh, we were talking this morning, Martin, about his um, his comments to TNT Sports Brazil after the match last night, which have been uh, picked up by a number of um, news organisations. Uh, talked about saying, yesterday they asked me asked me to take a test to the gym, that if it, I, was, I was good, I would go to the game. At the time of the game, they left me on the bench. These are things that it is not possible to understand. This season, excuse the word, it's been shit because I don't have minutes, I suffered little with injury. He's clearly a frustrated figure at the moment, Richarlison. Yeah, but also it's part of it is his own responsibility. He, scored, he hasn't scored a goal in the Premier League. And he hasn't really looked like scoring too many goals in the Premier League. He had one off, disallowed for offside against Fulham. That's it. He, you know, When he has had his chance, he hasn't particularly taken it. Um, you know, He had 25 minutes last night. I know it's not a lot, but what did he do in that 25 minutes? Mm. How many times this season have you watched a game with the Charleston player and thinking, oh, yeah, he, he's got to start the next game? Not many. Trouble is, there's been too many of those players you say that. If, if Kane goes, does it spell the end for for Min Son? Like, it, it feels a bit like Ant losing deck. No, look, I mean, the thing for Son is he's got to find his form. He's been really poor this season. He knows it. And it's now wearing away at him. So he's trying harder and harder and dropping deeper and deeper. And actually being less effective uh, as a as a consequence, he gets the odd goal, but he isn't playing with anything like the the smile on his face that we've become used to. You know, he came off the bench and scored against West Ham, and you thought, could this be the the springboard? And, and it hasn't been. Um, but he's, again, he's been there a long time. He's been there eight years. Um, I don't think there's any appetite to to move him on at the moment. But were there to be a big bid from somewhere? there might be a feeling that, OK, it is time to, to change things up. I mean, football is... No one goes on forever. You've got to change them eventually. Uh, it's a question of who you bring in to, to to fill the void. Well, that's it, really. If if you're Pochettino, for example, and, and you expect that Kane might leave and there's an opportunity to move Son on as well, then suddenly you've got a massive amount of money plus whatever they're going to promise you, you know, if, and maybe you get that in writing this time if you're Pochettino or at least a text message saying, no, no, we'll give you £100 million. Um, some some facts try, to try and uh, back up your arguing uh, power, then you can see easily how the team would be recast next season with plenty of spending power in the summer and an attractive manager like Pochettino to bring in new talent. There's no reason why Tottenham shouldn't be successful uh, in the medium to long term, even in the short term. I mean, financially, they're better placed than probably anybody else because of the in, the revenue that they get in and the, at the moment, low wages to revenue ratio of 47%. The revenue is going to go up. Even if they're not in the Champions League, they're still going to have 450 million in revenue. This season, they're going to have nearly 500 million in revenue. You know, very few teams have got that spending power, that financial power. And remember that the debt repayment on the stadium is only 17 million a year. The capital still has to be repaid, but the debt element of it is only 17 million a year. So they're not in a bad place. They can afford to spend a great deal more. They're just, at the moment, choosing not to. 
the story that the Glazers perhaps deciding to not sell, does this maybe flush out some other potential buyers for Spurs and, and rekindle that story? Or what's your view on that situation? Well, if it's right that the Glazers are deciding to go into this um, latest idea I hear of uh, uh, basically hiving off the uh, commercial arm and staying with the club and, and trying to work on that, which is possible, then suitors who were interested in, interested in Premier League football and can't get into United will think, what's the next best one that's available? And without question, the next best one that's available for the right price of around four billion quid, I guess, is Tottenham. So, uh, it, I mean, a good chance or like pie in the sky in your view? Well, I, I, I think that Spurs would sit that Joe Lewis would sell, but he wants his money. Daniel, I think, think would be probably more reluctant to sell because what does he do after football? His, his football is, the football club has become his life. Uh, but as I said, nothing goes on forever. There are investors who've already looked at, at Tottenham. At the moment, they're not willing, it seems, to meet the valuation. But if they're the biggest property on the market, then maybe that valuation does become more realistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, availability drives or demand drives price. So great to have you with us, Martin. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's Martin Lipton giving us his thoughts on the Spurs situation. And would sort Spurs out, says Lorkey in our comments, setting a bomb off this morning. Celtic fans will not appreciate that. They never do. And just been linked with so many jobs, so he's going to continue to be linked with every single Premier League vacancy that comes up. You were obviously, or somebody was wrong on the show about Leeds not being, uh, you yeah, and Celtics. But Spurs, Spurs come calling for you. And it's going to have to be. Need to have a chat about this one. There's Cameron. Cameron said Leeds are a bigger club than Celtic. I'm sure Dermot, need, out there. need to have a chat about this one. Yeah, yeah. That's a big, that's a big shout for Ange Postacoglu. Does he go or does he stay? John Duggan's with us, John. Jaron Chain, how are we doing? Conte's gone. Not no, sorry, not officially, but like he's he's. Uh, this is not news that we're saying. That the Conte's writing gone. is on the wall, but um, it's the fat lady is singing loudly. You mm. could splice together ten different John Duggans with ten different jumpers, and it's probably only about four jumpers. But um, of me saying exactly the same thing, and I don't want to bore our great audience. I know we've got a great audience, and I don't want to bore them by saying the same thing. But it's uh, it just feels like I'm going to say exactly the same thing as I've been saying for the last I don't know five years in the show. It's funny that you talk about being, there being ten John Duggans. You know, I'm a big space geek, and like the the idea of parallel universes, and they're because the infinite the universe is infinite. That means there are an infinite number of universes out there where every single eventuality is covered. But I almost feel like in every single possible parallel universe, Spurs are still Spurs. I feel like that's the only that's the only definite in every single parallel that universe. Consistent. And John Duggan walks in, in in every one of these universes sad with his scarf and sometimes Spurs time. are the cockroaches of our time. Potentially. That when the holocaust of nuclear proportions yeah. comes they'll, they'll still be there being what they are. Fifth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm concerned uh, about. Conte's gone. No fight. Uh, what, what's Conte known as being? He's been the Tasmanian dust devil on the sideline. Now he's had a very tough time with uh, he's lot, lost a lot of friends. Uh, he's had surgery so look you can have a uh, human empathy for him and his, and his family are in Italy but I just think he just looks resigned I think he'll be gone he told Italian TV it's just a shrug of the shoulders about the whole thing um, the Sheffield United thing was was disgraceful because they could have put out a team that would have beaten Sheffield United and maybe gone on a cup run and won an FA Cup and that would have been great um, but now it's I, we are, there's about eight or nine headlines I can give about all this so the top four thing 
we're talking every single week, oh, they'll get in the top four, the two points off, they're Liverpool or Liverpool going to do their Chelsea or, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you're actually in the competition, you got a chance at the quarterfinal and you turn out a lifeless performance and you'd have no zest whatsoever to your play. So I don't really get this top four thing. Second thing, Harry Kane deserves our blessing and he deserves to go now. Even to Manchester United? Yeah, anywhere. But Harry Kane has nothing to prove for Tottenham. Uh, he's a record goal scorer. He's a world-class player. He's a total model pro. He deserves better than what he's received from Tottenham over the last, apart from the wages, uh, over the last few years. And he deserves to go and, and, and chase his dream, as it were, because it's not going to happen at Tottenham for him unless he wants to be a record-breaking striker or a one-club man. Uh, the owners um, are great business people. They've built a magnificent arena, but they don't understand the football product. Um, they had Pochettino there. They 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 they, 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 they stumbled upon a brilliant manager. Maybe that's unfair to them, in the, and obviously they hired him and everything. But the, the, their hiring and the fluidity of the hires versus success has not been great um, in terms of the relationship between the two. And they didn't back Pochettino. I know they're building the stadium at the time, but sometimes you just need to just speculate to accumulate. And now we're in a situation where you've got Beyonce playing all these nights and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and all this and go-karting and rugby finals and everything, all these kind of things. And these are really important things for the revenue, all that. But it doesn't feel like the football product is number one. There's nobody coming through the club. Oliver Skip's a lovely player and everything, but there's nobody coming through. So the recruitment is obviously poor from a signings point of view and from an academy graduate point of view. I can go on and on. <laughs> that's the point. He's lovely. He's grand. Like that, that's there's too many. One league cup in twenty two years should tell you everything you need to know. Now I know they were unlucky not to win something in the Pochettino era. They were second in the league, best finish since the sixties, reached the European Cup final. These are all really positive things. But you still silverware is still important. Even Wenger won trophies when he was on his way. Who do you want? I like I quite like Thomas Tuchel, but then people oh it's another Chelsea reject. I just don't think we should go back to Pochettino. I don't think in life you ever should go back. And if you're going back to Pochettino, you get this romance, the fa- like the, the board get a free pass and they don't deserve a free pass for three and a half years of waste if you bring Pochettino back. And Pochettino has not won trophies. Thomas Tuchel is a irascible type of figure, but he is a proven winner. He Liga. won the Champions League. Liga. There's a there's a there's a trophy, didn't he? Didn't he win Liga in the end? Mm, yeah, I think he did. That's not a real trophy. Thomas Frank, uh, Graham Potter, when he gets the sack at Chelsea, will be available. Graham Potter's turned things around, Shane. I think you'll find well, a week's yeah. a long time in football. Two wins. But, uh, but I think whoever the manager, Holland. I think whoever the manager is, I think there are more structural issues at the club in terms of the players coming through, the money that's available, the wage bill that you can't really necessarily compete. And look, the, the problem for Tottenham is that you're going to have Newcastle, Liverpool, Chelsea all stronger next season. Like Chelsea do have good players. Chelsea have better players. Tottenham don't have a good enough squad. Their best defender is mad in terms of his decision making. Like that was crazy stuff last night. And then uh, Conte takes off uh, a striker for Davinson Sanchez. Don't understand that. Okay. Uh, Ange would sort Spurs out is the, the comment. Would you like Ange? I'd, I'd like anybody. Ange is good, yeah. Um, but would Ange, you see, once again, would Ange get what he wants? At the club, I just think that if so you look I think at the all or nothing documentary, sorry, uh, Daniel Levy has got too much. It's too, like, can you beat Daniel Levy in terms of winning arguments? And I don't think anybody can. Well, they're going to sell. So let's assume that they sell Harry Kane, right? Yeah, and they'll have all that money, and then there's a good chance I think that they sell Son for something between twenty-five and forty-five million, depending on what the market is like. It could be somebody might pay a crazy price for him, but he might go cheap because his form hasn't been great, right? So that's at least one hundred and forty million plus. They actually did spend quite a lot last summer, so you have to assume a new manager comes in and he gets a hundred. That's two hundred and fifty million. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the only it thing is, it doesn't go very far these days. Sure. Can can you trust? The recruitment, and I suppose the one thing about if you look under the bonnet of football, the recruitment is so important. The people who made all those decisions at Liverpool, they did such a brilliant job over the years. The disaster that Everton and Manchester United have been in terms of recruitment. And Tottenham had a really good guy called Paul Mitchell there, worked with Pochettino, he's really good at recruitment. And the last few years, you have to say, the recruitment has not been good enough. Um, but then again, uh, the, the, you can't blame the board for the way they played against Sheffield United and for the team that Conte put out. You can't blame the board for everything. I think it's a mixture of a load of different factors. And the one um, angel out of this is Harry Kane. Even Son, is, as you say, but Tuppet Son mm. has really, like, really disappointed this uh, season. Peter M. Trolling. Would Levy go for a cheap option and get Deserby or Lampard? <laughs> well, Deserby's, are, Deserby's a very good coach. Lampard, no. These are um, not the same thing here. No. Um, uh, complete. I'm going to, sorry, I've got to do this one. Bobby Dwyer says, Complete bollocks about Kane deserving more. He's had ample opportunities to win trophies, three cup finals and chances at leagues. Never showed up in a final. He was injured in the Champions League final and shouldn't have showed up. And it wasn't, you know, he yeah. was, I think... So one, the one thing I'd, I've always disagreed about with it when it comes to Harry Kane, the one thing I didn't like about Harry Kane was that he wasn't really fit and Luke Smore should play. But like that's... Look, in the grand scheme of things, Harry Kane has been an absolute legend for Tottenham. Sorry, he meant Thomas Frank. Not Frank Lampard, apparently. Uh, well, ah, sorry. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, right, like, not the but same how, how, are, how, how are Arsenal doing it uh, to, to, to a degree? Like, do Arsenal have really any massive stars in their team? Odegaard, well, possibly. Martinelli could be. Yeah. But, okay, but Saka is turning into we're, one. But we're, we're not talking about superstars here and they're top of the league. So what are they doing right that Tottenham are doing well, right? Well, they recruited Martinelli and, and Saka and they they brought them through. And, and Odegaard was, you know, a bit of a money ball in that here is somebody who has been undervalued and uh, is is not making it somewhere else. And so that uh, I, it speaks to your point. Um, they do have a recruitment policy that seems to be working. Now, again, theirs was under fairly significant microscope 18 months ago when things weren't going well so this can turn around pretty quickly at these super clubs in particular where you do have spending power and you can't sign players. the two lads that they got from um, Juventus have both been excellent signings so there is there's the bones of something there it's just uh, they're, yes, they're striking out too often Bantacore is injured yeah we've got, we got to go um, but Park Harrington yeah we've got to talk about Park Harrington before we get there hmm. so yeah, uh, World Golf Hall of Fame. Only three Irish uh, people, because obviously women as well are involved in this, um, can have been in this. So Chris O'Connor Sr., Joe Carr, and Ed Podrick. So I've always said, uh, I, and I've said this, I've said this about 15 years, I think Podrick Harrington is the greatest ever sports person we've had in this country. Uh, and that's not uh, a take for a digital hit. It's, it's a take that I have just because I've, I've always felt that he maximized every single um, piece of talent that he had to win three major championships. Uh, and it's not about him maybe the most talented golfer. Obviously, Rory is off this island, but Patrick Harrington got the most out of his talent. You have him ahead of Roy Keane? Yeah, I, I just felt like Roy Keane let himself down in Saipan. <laughs> like, ah. you know, Roy Keane let himself Whoa. down in Saipan. That doesn't impact whether he was a great sports no, but, uh, but I think you need to show up. You need, you need, you need, you need to be at a position where you're playing at World Cups. Uh, and like, the, this is like we, we could talk for another half an hour about this. And I, I don't want this to be taken. Roy Keane is an amazing sports person for this country. So I'm very positive about Roy Keane. But if you're asking me to give my judgment on one thing and why I would say Patrick Harrington is our greatest, there's just this little uh, quirk with the Roy Keane thing that kind of puts me off. Yeah, and I think it's he about, was, I he think was it's our a, best player of the 94 World Cup when he was yeah, only a kid. Um, but when, when, like we had a better team in 02, and uh, when push comes to shove, you need to be playing at World Cup. So it's just a little kind of a kink. And just in terms of my own personal judgment of what all the, the ingredients are to make somebody really, really, truly great. 
All right, let's be having you. Who is our greatest ever? Uh, you can join the YouTube comments. You can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. And uh, racing today, Turles is off because yeah. uh, the snow is general all over Tipperary. It is, yeah. And uh, obviously, we're what? Is it five days out now from Cheltenham? We're heading over next week and hopefully we'll give you some good advice and uh, good stories and uh, talk about plenty of Irish winners. 18 last year and, and hopefully be a lot more to come. But it is Willie Mullins against everybody else. It's, uh, we'll get into that a bit more, obviously, over the next few days. It is 8.52 this morning here on OTBAM. Some highlights from the podcast network today. Uh, you can get Football Daily. It's uh, your daily football fix with Phil Egan in bite size. Wednesday Night Rugby, obviously building up to the game against Scotland at the weekend. And the football show. Make sure you subscribe to our football feed. Follow off the wall across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network. After this short break, former Cavan footballer Shnoni Johnson. Watch OTBAM live every weekday morning from 7.30 on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Off The Ball channel so you don't miss a thing. It's 8.53. You're very welcome back to OTBAM this Thursday morning. Uh, good morning, Shawnee Johnson. How are you getting on? Morning, man. How are you? Yeah, very well. Um, I'm going to reveal a little bit here. We were thinking earlier on in the week, who'd be good to talk to about what's going on in Kildare? Also, we should talk about Cavan. And your name came up. And then overnight, it turns out you've done a massive two and a half hour interview with um, the uh, GEA Social. It felt like about a six hour interview, to be honest. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, look, I, I haven't listened to, listened to it now. I don't I think it only came out last night. So I got a few messages from a couple of lads there. So some of them have been, have been tuning in early. <clears throat> um, are you nervous today then? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, I don't know what the feedback will be like from it. Um, I suppose it was very re- revealing. It was it was the first time I probably really sat down properly and and discussed the whole uh, the whole incident. Uh, and look, it was it was pretty honest and pretty forthcoming from from myself. So yeah, we'll we'll see what comes out of it. And um, look, obviously everybody can go off and listen to it. We, we only have 15 minutes here, so it's not going to be anything similar. But are you, was that something that you kind of felt like you needed to just have that conversation, get it over and done with? Because it feels a little bit like you, you kind of wanted to tell your side of the story and reveal the toll that it took on you. Yeah, well, I suppose I never did it. Um, and it was probably hard to do. Uh, it was something I, I found very difficult even bringing up the subject, to be honest. I'd kind of run a mile from it. So um, I have my wife to thank for pushing me down that avenue. So, um, yeah, look, it's done now. Uh, you know, it's 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 out there for, you know, people can obviously listen to it if they want to. Some people are probably sick of the whole of, of, of listening to it. So, yeah, look, it wasn't, it obviously wasn't easy. It was a tough uh, part of, of my life, I suppose. But look, yeah, we just keep moving on now. Yeah, and and I I do think sometimes that like I don't know, uh, obviously therapy and closure and all that kind of stuff. You never really get closure, but like it it feels like you said the incident there was how you refer to it. So <laughs> it feels like it's still something that's a little bit of at arm's length for you. It feels like you you kind of in retrospect. I was going to introduce you. The the script said former Cavan and Kildare <laughs> footballer, and I I edited out the Kildare thing just on the basis of. You're very kind, but it feels like you you don't you don't consider yourself a former Kildare footballer at all, really. Uh, well, uh, look, I didn't produce anything for them, which is uh, you know very hard for them to. You know, uh, it's one of the things I said. Like they didn't get the uh, certainly didn't get the player that they thought they were going to get. Uh, it was just uh, pretty hard, I suppose, for me to perform to the level that I wanted. Uh, I just you know I found it difficult 
Um, I've said all that in the interview where I was probably so focused on still what was going on in Cavan because, look, I grew up wanting to play with Cavan. I absolutely love it. I love Cavan. Um, I know a lot of people will, will throw that back at you. Well, you don't really. Yeah, it was just something that um, I think as a young child, when you when you achieve what you want to achieve in terms of playing with your own county, there's a rawness there, there's a passion there, there's a desire there. I thought I would be able to do that, uh, but no, I, I just wasn't able to do it. So, um, um, yeah, it was unfortunate. Do, do you feel by talking about it now, you might actually be able to kind of um, not give advice because that's wrong. That kind of is positioning you as some kind of, but like... Um, <laughs> Just be an example to other people who might be considering going through it that actually you need to, you kind of need to play a bit of chess and think, what are all the repercussions of this? Yeah, I think I have an empathy towards people. I have chatted to a couple of people in the past who've been maybe not as high profile of transfers, but I think it's important to take into account everything, not just the football side of things. Um, And maybe mine was, I don't want to use the word more high profile, but it definitely got more media attention than most people's would. But um, there is another aspect to it, like there's the personal aspect to it, there's the your own family's aspect to it. So it, you know, and it's something that will will stick with you. And it was something that I was very naive around. I, I just thought that it would, honestly, thought that it would pass through fairly straightforwardly. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, and you learn from those experiences. But yeah, no, it's definitely something that I have empathy towards people that are, you know, looking to to maybe do that or even you know, go from different clubs or whatever it is, or just even going through tough times, to be honest, that you're able to just know that there is a way out of it, to be fair. It, it normalises it too, Shawnee, like the, I guess the Shane Walsh incident, if you want to call it an incident again, uh, brings it back into the, the conversation. But you talking about it, and like for someone like myself, I hadn't even realised, you know, the the background of the whole Cavan thing and getting dropped from the Cavan panel by Val Andrews over the phone in 2011 and the impact that would have on you as well. So I guess telling the story explains to a lot of people, the rationale and the reasoning behind the decisions that you made? Yeah, look, maybe I should have come out earlier. Um, I suppose at that stage, it was uh, it was so, it was everywhere. Like, And I, I didn't want to add flame to the fire by coming out and doing interview after interview. And, and trust me, like I, I was, I'd say I was approached nearly every day to do interview after interview. I did one interview, Column Keys, and at the, at the end of the whole thing when everything was done, Maliki, Maliki Clark can approach me and he was extremely nice and brilliant to be honest um, and after that I just didn't do any more I was trying to nearly play it down in my own head and trying to play it down and that I wouldn't be adding fuel to the fire or adding flames to the fire but it, it took me a long time to sit down I know Thomas and Ushin and they mentioned in the pod they probably had looked for me to do it for maybe a year and a half at that stage and I'd constantly said no to them and the main reason I said no was I, I suppose I was involved with the cabin set up in a coaching capacity and I didn't want to to make another scenario where it was just about me. You know, um, I was completely bought into their environment and the, the setup was going really well and I wanted it to be about the players and so on. So I didn't do it at that stage. And I, I, look, I didn't want to do it either. I was putting it off and putting it off because, you know, I'd, I'd played around with it so much in my own head that I suppose I wanted to forget it and I was trying to forget it and trying to move on with my own life. But... Look, hopefully, look, it helps someone, and if someone can get something out of it, then yeah, you know, that, that, that's good for me. It must have been a cathartic process in in many ways as well, because uh, like even um, listening to you talking about being self conscious of people talking about you, and and that must be tough, because at the end of the day, uh, this is an amateur sport. Do you know, these these aren't your human beings at the end of the day. So to to have to deal with that or or have that floating about your head must have been extremely difficult. 
Yeah, it was very difficult, but like at the end of the day, like they probably weren't. Some of them were, but yeah. were, you know, it, it, it was my own demons in my own head rather than anyone else's fault. It, it was just the self consciousness side of things, and you know, I don't know. People will probably say this is wrong. I, I don't want a big, massively high profile life. I didn't want it at the time. I didn't know what was going to happen. Again, that was naive on my own behalf. Um, but yeah, like you're 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 walking around, and it was it was everybody seemed to be talking about it. it was in papers everywhere, and you know, again for me, it was it became a confidence issue where I was so insecure in myself that I was I was probably thinking that other people were constantly in conversation about me. But the reality of life is that people are so busy, and people have their own things to deal with. You know, I wasn't that important. I just had made myself more important in my own head than I actually was. I'd say, but yeah, look. It, I think things pass, things pass on and, yeah. and, and, you know, it gets better. Like I do think that's an interesting, um, and, and maybe a little bit peculiar to Irish sport in particular in that if you come through at an early age, you're kind of hot housed, you know, you're, you're asked and, and this happens in, in lots of counties. Uh, <laughs> maybe the bigger counties are actually better at dealing with this because they've had more people and there's, there's less focus on individuals because there's success there. But if you come through in any county, be it Kildare or Cavan or Donegal at an early age, and you're kind of, you know, the next great thing, there's not a whole heap of time for you to develop the rest of your skills as like just a grown up. You know, you're kind of, yeah. you're entire. There was, there was definitely no media training anyway, I can assure you that down here. So uh, I see a lot of the, the top counties now are employing nearly media experts and for their players to. And I probably came out with some silly things at the time when when, when I think back on them as, a, as an older person, more experienced person now. But as you said, look, I wasn't prepared for it. Um, I didn't see it coming. Um, and then you're you're in a scenario where you're constantly being asked questions, not just with a microphone in front of you, but just in terms of locally, um you know, questions coming left, right and centre. And I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. And it's hard for me to admit that because, you know, I think it's hard to admit fault in anything. It's hard to admit that you're not prepared for something in anything in life. But you know, I would have classed myself as, you know, articulate, able to handle myself in conversation. But when the, when I don't use the phrase, when the gun's to your head or the microphone's in front of you, it becomes more difficult. Yeah, and I think as well, um, like Geezer had such a power of attraction for the media that anything that he did there was a year where Kildare went through the qualifiers and every game was on telly <laughs> and like do you know that they had reached a point where everybody was interested in them because McGinney is such an incredible character and a lot of people didn't really like the fact that he was in Kildare and so therefore there was kind of people waiting to, to smack him even within the county as it turned out and when the Famously, they knifed him by a single a single vote, and that worked out really well for Kildare in the long run. So, I think that probably fed into the the atmosphere around it in a way as well. I, I, I just last point on this because we didn't get John to talk about this at all. But obviously, the, the story just broke overnight. You're obviously you've, you've started your coaching journey, and maybe it's important for you to get that parked and done, and everybody go okay that that bit's over as opposed to waiting for that story. Do you know what I mean? In a way that, like, this all makes perfect sense now in, in terms of timing. You're totally ready to talk about it, it turns out. And, as you say, articulate whatever it was that happened at that time. But also now you can begin to use it as something you've come through adversity and hardship and experienced that. And now as a coach, when you're talking to players in whatever changing room, they're like, OK, well, Shawnee's had his ups and downs. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, 
you know, I, I'd like to hope that one of my strengths is that, you know, is honestly with my players. Uh, I have no problem sitting down and I probably find it a lot easier to talk to them 1v1 about my own experiences than I would to talk to anybody else. And I, I think it's something that they appreciate. Um, I think it makes you more human. You know, there's a there's an element of coaching or management where there's a management v players scenario, or or they see you as as maybe a, a different type of figure, and, and that's certainly not the manager that I that I want to be. Yes, there's obviously a, a there. I don't. Want, it's not. A, it's not a divide, but there's a there's a difference between management and players, and there'll always be a, you know a, a, an arm's length there. But for them to know that there's a human element to the to the management side of things. Uh, that there is someone here that has gone through adversity and hardship and has found a way to bounce back and wants to delve into those things and wants to be able to give his experience to those players. I think that can be a powerful tool for coaches and managing. It's funny yeah, that, that you say that, that how your your influence can rub off on your players because Geezer, like Geezer moved to Nafina, so he was through. He went through a, a club switch as well. So like maybe was there an element of, of you getting, uh, I guess, being comfortable with with talking to someone like Kieran McGinney about it because he had been through, I don't want to say something similar, but but you know he had transferred. Yeah, to be honest, there wasn't much of a conversation around that um, with Kieran. It was like, okay, this has gone through now. Get yourself ready. Get yourself prepared. Let's get ready to go now. There wasn't really much around uh, how are you feeling or so on. So it was like, yeah, and I can understand that. You know what I mean? He probably had taken a lot of flack around the whole thing as well. I certainly took a lot of flack. Uh, and then he was looking to go, okay, help me here. You know, become a better, you know, make this team better, be a better player, improve yourself. And I'll be honest, I learned a lot from him, uh, a lot on the mental side of the uh, side of the game, you know, how he thinks he's obsessive about it. Um, but yeah, look, it didn't work out. And you know, I've gone through the reasons, I suppose, in the pod about why I feel that it didn't work out. And people will always say, oh, look, you know, you were too big for your boots you weren't as good as you thought you couldn't you didn't perform when you went down there and look they all have valid reasons for that but in my head I have a I suppose a, a strong uh, reason why it didn't work for me um, As a Clare fan I thought maybe put him in give him some minutes let him let him build some patterns of play with his teammates in the match environment I thought like you know how, how are you going to prove it if you don't get a chance to prove it Yeah I suppose that was difficult as well in the 2013 National League, you know, I started off really well, actually. You know, we played, uh, they played Cork and they played Kerry and they played Dublin and, you know, I was scoring quite freely and then I picked up a knock and uh, it just never really got back to the levels where I, where I had been at there. So, yeah, look, when you're not playing, it's hard to get a, I suppose, an idea of, um, different movement patterns of different players when players are going to deliver the ball and so on. But you know, I, I don't blame anyone anyone else for me. I wasn't doing enough on the on the training field. And Kieran, in fairness, he's very clear on that. You know, he's picking the team completely based off what happens in training. And as a coach and manager now, as a player, I probably didn't agree with that at the time. In my head, I was like, in the match, I'll be fine. I'm probably not the best trainer in the world, but I can fully see the idea of competition now. It's everything that I will base my own coaching and and uh, performance in terms of my management on will be how our players perform in training because it's just so important. And do you want to be a, an inter-county manager at some point? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I do, yeah. Um, I've got, I suppose, an insight into what it's, what it's like in the environment now. I absolutely love the high-performance environment of it. 
it's tough, it's time consuming. Uh, with a young family, it's very, very tough. Um, for me now, it would I would be doing a disservice. And it may never happen, it's the first thing to say. You know, I may never be good enough for it, for it to happen, but I need to go and learn now and get better and keep on improving and keep on upskilling myself that if the time does come that I'm ready. You're making the right steps. You're, you're involved in, in Monaghan Club management now with, with the reigning county champions, Bally Bay. I, I suppose the first step is to keep Peter Pan, Paul Finley involved for another year. Yeah, what a guy. Um, really, really top class uh, person, first of all, a top class player too. So um, that conversation will happen in due time. Paul has earned the right to take his little break there over the last few weeks. Um, I'm sure someone like him is, is keeping himself in in good shape and so on and that'll be a decision purely based for Paul and his family and where, where they're at Are you younger than him? <laughs> yeah, I'll always say I'm younger than people, people hey. and I never reveal him age but yeah I definitely am younger than him <laughs> um, And I'm very interested in this uh, as a manager what is your uh, view on the way that the game is going at the moment particularly teams ability to attack or their desire to attack yeah, I, I don't buy into this negative vibe. I, I love the way that the game is going. You know, you're seeing a lot of different types of games. I watched Derry Dublin at the weekend. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I watched numerous games over the last couple of weeks. Different teams are trying to play different ways. You get different. Uh, I suppose the culture in different counties sometimes is different. Obviously, you know, the culture in Donegal, for instance, is very different to the culture in Cavan. Um, but it, it's exciting. Like it's intriguing. I think people just. People love giving out, like, um, instead of just going, okay, yeah, there's parts of the game that need to improve, absolutely. And there's parts of the game that have come on absolutely leaps and bounds over the last number of years. And they're going to continue to progress and continue to to uh, expand. Like, I'm watching Derry at the minute. I'm absolutely loving watching them, the way they're trying to play, different elements that are attacking. People are going to nail Derry for being a, a negative team. You look at the amount of times they'll find five, six players in at the end line, holding their depth and their attack for different reasons. They're trying to get hard runners and leave the space out around the 45. And then they're giving themselves options to work little pop passes or marks or so on. So, Is that this season yeah. though, Shawnee? That's what I'm, I'm wondering. Like, um, <laughs> No, I think they've got better at it this season. Okay. I think they were trying it last season. But I think now if you look at them, yeah, will they defend with 15 behind the ball? Absolutely, because that's the way Rory wants to play. And that's the way he feels that he can keep his... Uh, opposition to low numbers but their uh, transition now from defence to attack is rapid um, they're gone and they're getting you'll see that you'll see Derry when they turn over the ball there's about four or five players that will have nothing to do with the ball and they will sprint as quickly as they can to get to that 13 metre line to give them themselves that depth in the attack give them the option to pop that little ball in and with Derry a lot of times it will be by fist because they don't like to kick the ball that much inside the opposition 40 but maybe that's their next step in their in their expansion they're remarkably less goals, uh, noticeably, Shawnee. Like the the attack of Mark has been blamed for for a lot of that. Like as a as an inside forward, what was what's your take on the on the attacking Mark? Because clearly catching the ball, well, coming a, down and scoring a goal is it, it, it's kind of taken away that art form. Yeah, it is. But as an inside forward, it's a, a for me, it's a dream. It should be. It, and to be honest, I, I don't think it's something that teams are utilising near enough uh, in terms of it's it. it, it to me, it's something that's going that needs to be expanded in terms of teams need to look for this mark. It's there. Okay, we need to get over it. The GA will make their own decision on whether it's it's going to stay or not. Is it the best rule in the world? No, but it's in there. So teams now are going to start looking at 
uh, or if they're not, they should be, okay, let's use this attacking mark to our advantage. At the end of the day, a corner forward gets a, a, a ball 15 metres, 20 metres, 25 metres from goal with a free shot, they should score. So, you know, teams need to find ways, I suppose, of getting to the magic number for me of 19, 20 points and gaining three points from attacking marks is getting yourself closer to that goal. So I think it's something that is is there for people to utilise more and I think you'll see teams using it more often. Can we ask you about um, Paddy Lynch and, and, uh, and his evolution? Uh, we, we saw the great scenes in Westmead last year when they won the Tatchin yeah. Cup and obviously, you know, uh, Cavan didn't win it. But if they had won it, I think we'd be focused a lot more on their story and their situation this year. And I still think that there's a chance that they can cause a lot of trouble in the Ulster Football Championship. So uh, how important is Paddy Lynch going to be in all that? Um, well, firstly, I think it's guaranteed that they're going to cause a lot of trouble. Um, secondly, on Paddy, the sky's the limit for him. Um, I suppose I would have worked with him quite closely last year. Like, if you're moulding the perfect inside corner forward now, you're not looking too much further than Paddy Lynch. Left foot, right foot, power, size, good in the air, extremely accurate, brilliant free taker, uh, pace to take his man on, brilliant finisher in terms of goals. He got two at the weekend. He has everything it takes to be as good as anybody in the country. Um, And obviously there's one player in the country that is probably way out ahead of everyone else. But in terms of the second wave coming, he has every attribute that you would want to be a successful, and when I say a successful, I mean a really, really top-class inter-county corner forward. And again, it's not me speaking out of school, it's it's now how much Paddy wants to become that that player. And from the, from the experience I have with him, he's a hard worker, he's a dedicated lad, he's a real nice fella, he's a quiet lad off the field. But he just has he just has so many attributes, and the future is really bright for him. The two games he started, I mean, awfully kicked ten points, two five against Down in, in the last game as well. The, if he's an example to any young footballer, Shawnee, it's that practice with both feet because you trust him off either. Ah, oh, no, no. honestly, boys, his skill set is so high, um, but that's not by chance. That's not by chance either. You know, that's hard work. Um, that's a lot of good work I know a lot of the coaches that worked with him with Chris Law would be of really high quality his, his, his manager at the minute with Chris Law is a, is a really smart guy as well so he works really hard he's got good people around him um, and like I say the future is bright for him but he's so good like you wouldn't know left or right with him you wouldn't know the difference like I see him before training he just he can do stuff with the ball that you just go and Ooh, wow, you know there's not too many players that you kind of step back and, and, and they give you that bit of a wow factor but he does Funny you t- you talking there about coaching. I I can sense I can sense the excitement in your voice when you're talking about current football and coaching. Generally speaking, I know you're someone. Are you are you like a sponge when it comes to high performance and and looking at other sports? I know you're a Liverpool fan, so Jurgen Klopp's example is probably <laughs> coming to mind, and a keen golfer as well. So, are you taking little bits from other sports and kind of bringing it into your own levels of coaching? I look, I say I don't know if it's a strength or a weakness, one, but I, I suppose my personality and self is I'm obsessive, like when. When I'm in something or I'm taking something on, it's I'm going to try and be as best as I can at it. So, you know, if I can learn stuff off other sports and it's something that I've delved into in terms of um, looking into different management techniques, looking into how people deal with play. And at the end of the day, management to me is how is dealing with people. So it's the same in any in any job. If you go into a management element of it, you've got to be able to deal with people correctly, and that's probably what you're going to 
live and die off in terms of management. Yes, you can be the most tactically astute person in the world. Um, yes, you can be the best technical coach in the world. You can have such a technical knowledge of attack and play, defensive play, how the tackle is. But at the end of the day, it comes down to people and getting those people to buy into what you want to do. Um, and like I say, you can have all those skills in the world. And if you can't manage people, they're not going to buy into it for you. Uh, we're nearly out of time. But what's going on with Kildare, Tony? <laughs> um, yeah, they're in a they're in a precarious predicament. Um, I was looking up, you know, uh, their scoring ratio at the minute: thirteen points the first game, seven points the second game. They got sixteen against Clare, seven against Terry, twelve against Loud. So mainly they're not scoring enough. You know, I used the figure of nineteen twenty magic magic numbers there. They haven't hit it once this year, and they're in a precarious situation because obviously if they're in the bottom two to go to the Talton Cup, but if they finish sixth. I think there's a good chance they're going to go to the Talton Cup as well because if Calvin Down or Fermanagh reach an Ulster final, then that knocks the sixth place in Division 2 into the Talton Cup. So, yeah, they have a couple of tricky ties. They have winnable games. It's the important thing to say. They have Limerick away, I think, next, and then they have Meath at home. So they really need to win those two games. They need to get their key players back in the field. I know Kevin Feely's back. He's what a player he is after a bad injury. Um, they need to get uh, they were missing Jimmy Highland the last day he's top quality player so need to get their best players playing but yeah it's it's not a good place for them at the minute uh, One thing that we did want to get your final thoughts on was whether or not some of those teams so me that looks like might be okay at this stage and <coughs> they obviously uh, could equally end up qualifying through Leinster but would a me or a Kildare or like even kind of we saw down last season not being too bothered about the Talchin Cup those teams who would consider themselves Sam Maguire uh, standard, I don't know, looking around for the right word there, but uh, quality, standard, whatever, entitled, entitlement, will they take the Talton Cup seriously, do you think? Well, I, I, I'll put it like this to you. Cavan were in the Talton Cup last year and Cavan had won the Ulster Championship in 2020. Have an ex, you know a broad history around the sport, You know, have five All-Irons obviously a long time ago. But there's a huge culture there of GA, like there is in Mead and Kildare. I don't think you are where you are right now. Um, and I think it's really important. And the Talton Cup got a lot of uh, profile last year, maybe not as much as, as I would like it to, to get because I think it's a fantastic competition. But I, I really think the scenes around Mullingar last year should set the scene for what it can do for a team. Like Westmead still have a really good chance to go to Division 2. Um like I know the hurt that losing the Tatton Cup final had in our own county here. Uh, and, you know, for the players, for the management team, it was a difficult one to take. So, look, you are where you are and you're there because of your performances. Um, and the Tatton Cup final gives you a really, really good um, carrot at the end of the stick in, in terms of it gets you back into the All-Ireland without having to worry about the National League last year. So you can see Calvin this year there going hell for leather. Uh, and they've been, to be honest, they've been so unlucky with the with the Connacht Championship draw that even winning Division Three doesn't guarantee them a route into the All Ireland. Which at the beginning of the year, before the draws came out, they would have thought that that was the case. So, um, look, it's a really good competition, as you say. Mead would probably stay out of it, but yeah, it's something I think to be embraced. Who's yeah. go, who's going to win Ulster and who's going to win the All Ireland, Shawnee? Nice easy one for you. Look, to me, the All-Ireland is so wide open this year, but <laughs> I mean that in the best possible way because you're still going to be looking at a lot of the same teams. But the teams in the second tier now, and I'm talking Derry, Galway, Mayo after last year, you 
they're not in the carries in Dublin. So they got a got a, quite a bit of a, a hiding by Kerry last year in the All Ireland. So um, I think those teams now have a real opportunity. There's an opportunity there for a team to potentially come out of the blue. Who's going to win the All Ireland? <clears throat> People will laugh at me now. I'm going to say Mayo, um, which is just the most maddest thing I think I've ever come across in because I, I just, I've said Mayo for years and, and they never got across the line, but they're phenomenal and I love watching them and I love what they bring to it. Who's going to win Ulster? I think it'll be, honestly, I think it'll be a Derry Cavan final. And at the minute, you'd have to say Derry are favourites in that game, but, it'll, you know, Cavan won't fare, won't fare Derry, I don't think. And I'd give them every opportunity going in, but I'd say Derry would probably go. Back to back, which would be an unbelievable achievement for them. Um, sorry, that was great. I, I can imagine that sitting down with the, the two lads for the podcast was a bit like having teeth pulled because, uh, you know, who wants to revisit something as traumatic as that? But it seems like it's been good for you. So I wish you the very best today with the uh, texts and well wishes that are going to come your way because we didn't get into it, but there's like a, a darkness of that story as well that I think you cover really well in the podcast. So we wish you the very best with that. And, Thanks very um, much. Looking forward to um, the the next phase of your managerial career. Okay, thanks very much, and thanks very much for having me on. Much appreciated. Thanks, Johnny. That was brilliant there. Johnny Johnson, uh, former Cavan and uh, erstwhile Kildare footballer for a while. Um, that was really interesting. She's yeah, fascinating guy. Yeah, great talker. Um, and like he just he's such a, an interesting story, and and the way he deals with it now, and the fact that he, it's taken him so long to kind of. Open up about a lot of the things that 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 centered around that transfer saga because we, I'm sure, people at the time were like, "Ah, who's this, who's this twat moving counties? You know, one one man, one county, and all the rest." But he's he's such a good speaker, and you need to know the background to some of these stories. And Sean explains it so well. Yeah. So and Mayo for the All Ireland, by the way, as well. Oh yeah. Mayo fans are delighted. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, absolutely delighted with that. It's uh, it's cold out there at the moment, but. When you start hearing Mayo for the All Ireland, you know summer's <laughs> not too far away. Yeah. Uh, so that that was a nice bit of nice bit of Mayo charm given from Johnny. A couple of quick comments. Uh, Danny Mack wants to know what will the band do to Ireland's call this week. Mm. And the Scots don't need to do that. They're self confident enough that they can uh, let us have our rousing rendition of Ireland's call and still beat us, right? Well, Cameron was in the Stadio Olimpico for the uh, for the Italy game. Re- I mean, readily chanting and singing the Italian national anthem, which yeah. uh, which I do, which, which I have an issue with. Great anthem issue at all, but, but patriotism, patriotism is supposed oh, to be. No, sure. you, you, you get involved to, in the occasion. Yeah, you, you go Pan to your chest if you want. But I mean, no, as long, as are you going to be singing "Flower of Scotland" and yeah, no, because Scotland, because Scotland might win. I remember we went uh, was it the Nil All John O'Shea game was that we were all singing the Marseillaise at the start of that I suppose yeah. the Ireland fans were, were like getting involved you know the words it completely punctures the and you're like uh, the Marseillaise uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's yeah. going to happen here the fans are going to kill us oh no John O'Shea what are you doing <laughs> yeah yeah it takes the sting out of it when was that that was, that was Brian Kerr's was that was that oh. a Nil All does anybody Good question? Someone tell us in the comments. Well, you see, do we have two nil-offs? Am I, am I mixing this up? Why can I not remember these things where I'm actually at them? Old age. Cameron's, you see, Cameron probably, you know, you speak French, so you probably know Marseille's yeah, heart as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to learn all of the uh, Six Nations anthems. So, oh, really? Uh, the Welsh is the, Welsh is the hardest. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily need to sing God Save the Queen or King now. No, um, you definitely don't need yeah, to. Yeah, don't really want to do that don't one. Do that. But the Welsh one is a bit of fun to sing as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just it, it helps you get into the spirit of the occasion, especially when you're away. And uh, there was a family in front of us. And they turned around to see three Irish people, very clearly Irish, 
with our pasty white skin belting out the Italian national anthem and went, okay, <laughs> um, enjoy the game, guys. Mm, it's a strange one. Uh, Chelsea to be the only Premier League club to get through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Liverpool and City will flop. I mean, Liverpool flopping 5-2 down in the Bernabeu. You're putting your neck out there, but I, but um, the City thing, I mean, it's right there for it's right there for Leipzig if they want it. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear what happened. Uh, Jerry, you're going to have to apologise to Daniel Harris. Nathan upset him on Monday, says Paul McCabe. I'm sure he'll come back. Mm. Uh, we've already done Ange <laughs> the man for Spurs. Nervous of Scotland. Nonsense, says Ross Kyle. John Mack says, Ireland will do a number on Scotland on Sunday. I don't I like confidence to a certain degree, but I mean... Overconfidence is a dangerous thing, but then the team aren't being complacent whatsoever. You'd imagine so. Yeah, let the fans let the fans say what they want. It feels a little bit like Scotland are in a similar stage of evolution as Ireland were, kind of in the early Schmidt era. Mm. Hopefully, it's early Schmidt and um, not early Andy Farrell, because obviously Ireland have then gone on to become the best team in the world for a little period of time. Just a little, a tiny window here. We're the best at the moment, and. Uh, Obviously, we need to keep that going. Otherwise, it's all pointless when the World Cup rolls around. But this is the this is the bit where you drag Scotland into the deep water and you beat them and you beat them well and you say, no, you're not as good as us. Mm. And so don't be thinking about beating us in the World Cup. You want to be focusing all your energy and effort on upsetting South Africa. Yeah. Because they could easily do that. Yeah. I think um, I've said this point before with my friends that Scotland, we are to Scotland what France were to us in the noughties where... We were probably on an even footing, but we, we just couldn't beat them bogey for team. whatever reason. Yeah. They were our bogey team, and we're probably Scotland's bogey team in that no matter how well they're doing in a championship, there's just something about when they come up, come up against Ireland, the mistakes that we hadn't seen in the previous rounds really come out and uh, punish them. Uh, so I feel like there's probably... I mean, what happened to France after the noughties? They, they still went well, didn't they? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> famously, Vincent Clerc scores in the last minute to beat us mm. in the game in Croke Park which prevented us from doing a Grand Slam so who's going to be our Vincent Clerc this week? Mac go on why not? Mm. Great uh, great hair like Vincent Clerc does so I, I would back Mac to do that Two, two handsome mofos mm. uh, Right Cameron you're actually here t- to tell us about your chat with Conan O'Donnell O'Donnell Yes yeah I was chatting to him yesterday Conan who's uh, playing with the Toronto Arrows at the moment um, so he was he's originally from Sligo uh, was part of that really really good under 20s Ireland team in 2015-2016 missed out on the world championship when uh, they beat the All Blacks that time in 2016 and had it it was like when you go through that team James Ryan Andrew Porter um, Hugo Keenan was there Jacob Stockdale I wonder what happened to those guys um, it's a brilliant team Colin just missed out on that um, world championship but uh, played with Connacht for a few years was in that um Pro 14 winning side uh, then in 2019 Connacht released him he went over to the Sunwolves in Japan then did pre-season with the Crusaders then played a few Super Rugby games for the Highlanders uh, played Mitre 10 Cup or whatever it's called now the New Zealand um, Amateur Cup side uh, went up to Northland in uh, Fangare and is now in Toronto so I mean He's kind of been everywhere. <laughs> it's uh, He's a well-travelled rugby player, a real journeyman in the truest sense. Um, but uh, he, like the people he's worked with at this stage, he worked with Scott Robertson at the Crusaders and learned a lot from him. He's saying in this interview, he's worked under Pat Lamb. He's played with Sonny Bill. Like This guy is just kind of... The, the knowledge he must have absorbed at this stage 
But plenty it's of life experience for only a, a lad who's 26. Even mm. if you want a bit of wanderlust or wanderlust jealousy, go on to Conan O'Donnell's Wikipedia page and the photograph is him holding a surfboard on a beach in Mount Maunganui. Like, it's brilliant. Blue skies, sandy beaches. <laughs> he's lived a life. Exactly. Um, and he, like, he turned 27 in May. Um, he still wants to play for Ireland. And I mean, if we're using John, Johnny Sexton's career as the barometer, he's still got a good three World Cups ahead of him. Um, so he could still come back. His, his ambition is to come back, obviously. Um, but I mean, you know, Toronto, just as it's starting to get warm again, wouldn't be the worst place to be at the moment. No, nice uh, nice to do this part of the season. Their season's just kicking off, is it? Yeah, yeah. The MLR, Major League Rugby. Uh, so I think they're into round four. They had a bye week. And there's a lot of travel because I think Toronto are the only Canadian team in an otherwise American league. Yeah. So they're down to New Orleans. They were in Atlanta a few weeks ago. Uh, New York. San Diego team, I think. There's a San Diego team. Seattle team. LA. Um think there's, yeah, there's a Chicago team this year, Chicago Hounds. Um, my brother's a real rugby hipster, so he's telling me all about it. Um, and he still hasn't got the jersey yet. I think that's true hipsterdom. But there's a lot of travel. Like we don't, we kind of look at the Irish teams going down to South Africa and think, God, that's horrible. But they stay there for a few weeks, whereas these guys are on the road constantly. I don't think Toronto have a game at home until week six, which is incredible. Mm. Um, but other than that. You wouldn't mind it. No, plenty of air miles. I wonder, did the Major League Rugby have, have as crap chance amongst the fan, fan bases as Major League Soccer? I'd like to think so. Yeah. I'd like to think it's fairly crap chanting. That's what you want in those sports. Fight and win. Yeah, fight yeah. and win. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. We're going to stomp you out. <laughs> yeah. Right. You look lonely. That was the one over to David Beckham, wasn't it? <laughs> or my favourite, the referee's a wanker outside the ground before the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I thought it was fantastic. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this chat is really, really good. Conan is a um, really great um, talker, very, very engaging person, as you'll see. So looking forward to premiering that now. All right, well, let's get into that. Before that, OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now on tomorrow's show. Ron Nogara, Alan Quinlan, Corks, Gemma O'Connor, Stewie Byrne and Shana Cook. The Girls in Green Colouring Book and The Fire Pit all alongside Adrian and Shane. Right now, Cameron's chat with Conan O'Donnell. Have a gorgeous day. Okay, you're welcome back to OTBAM. Conan O'Donnell of the Toronto Arrows is joining me today. Conan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Can I complain? Just rolled yeah. out of bed there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we're complaining about the weather here. It's a brisk four degrees in Ireland at the moment. Um, we're complaining, saying it's a bit too cold and stuff. Maybe you can put some perspective on us. What's the weather like in uh, beautiful Toronto, Canada? Well, it's actually real sunny today, but it's minus two degrees at the same time, but it doesn't feel like it outside. Um, yeah, no, the weather's very different here. There was blizzards all last week, but I was actually away for a few days because we had a bye week and my flight was actually cancelled on the way back. So, oh, brilliant. Unfortunately, couldn't make it back for training because of the, yeah, the runways were just filled with snow. So, excellent. I had to, just... miss, I had to miss Mondays. It wasn't too good. But Okay, well, you know, me deciding. It's a bit too cold to be running. That yeah, I, I feel even worse now. Um, yeah, we tra- we train in a tent. In fairness, so <laughs> okay, it's, it's like that a bad. Pres- it's a pressurized cabin. Um, some days it is genuinely. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. But okay. I think I'd rather it over the the sports ground rain any day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so weather and travel restrictions aside, uh, you joined when? When did you arrive in Toronto? On the third of January. So, okay. Was that like two months ago nearly? Just over two yeah. months? 
Wow. Um, and how are you finding it so far? How are you settling in? Yeah, I love it. Um, okay. It was a real exciting competition, a lot of travel around the America. Uh, and then obviously an opportunity to play rugby professionally is always, always the goal and dream. So I'm really enjoying that. And I've never actually lived in a big city before. So kind of the opportunity to live in a city and play professional rugby there is kind of a, a no-brainer for me. So I, yeah, I'm over the moon with the decision so far. Yeah, and uh, you've plenty of Irish there with you at the Arrows. Um, think, am I right in thinking Shane O'Leary and Noel Reid, formerly a Leinster, are there with you as well? Yeah, and then we have an Irish S&C coach as well who actually worked with Black Rock. Oh, brilliant. And Shane's his name as well. And he used to play in the Premiership with London Welsh, I think it was. London Welsh, not Scottish, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Um, so plenty of Irish there anyway to keep you company. Uh, yeah, What's I, I've looked at the results for the Arrows. They haven't been great so far, it has to be said. But um, well, how does it work? How does Major League Rugby work to the layperson like myself? Oh, I suppose... Is it playoffs yeah, at the end of the I'm season? I'm trying to think. There's not much difference <laughs> to it. They have a... It's kind of that American... Because we're the only Canadian team, but it is American League. Uh, it has that like American twist on you know the East and the West Conference. And okay. We yeah we're in the East Conference, so we play every team home and away. I think, and then we have a one or two crossover games in between that. And then yeah. top three in each conference go top four. I actually don't know. I should find that out. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be in it anyways. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you have extra games Uh, at the end of the season, you know. Oh, I guess we did well this year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Um, I think so. Yeah, top three, and then you go into like a semi final, and you win your conference as well. So okay, so yeah, it's quite North American, basically like a a super Super Bowl at the end of it for the MLR Shield. Right. Um and well how do you find the, the travel? I've noticed that you've had a lot of way to a lot of away games so far. Is the travel a bit of a drag? Like it is I don't know if if people want to get a map of North America, it's pretty big. Yeah. I suppose that's probably the beauty of the East Conference. A lot of your games are on the East Coast, so okay. it's not as much travel as if we were to go to say San Diego it would be like mm. probably like six or seven hours, is it? Yeah, could be, long, could be longer. I've never actually flown it before, but um, that isn't too bad. Like, I suppose the biggest trouble is because we're the internet. We we're the only team that's internationally, so we have to travel a bit early in the airport. I yeah. find the travel days itself drag out just because you have to go through pre clearance. Mm-hmm. And if it was a domestic flight, it would be okay. But the fact that it's not, we have to like do all that niggly detail and have visas organised and all that, but. I suppose, and then obviously currency conversions because we're getting paid in Canadian dollars. That's probably the the biggest niggly bit about being the only Canadian team. But I, I assume if you were a team in a base in America, it wouldn't be as bad. Like I suppose traveling the URC, you do a lot of travel as well. Or even if you play in the Challenge Cup or well, I've never played in the Highland Cup. It's the same. You probably have to have big bus journeys in France away from the airports and mm. long days away. So. I'm kind of used to it at this stage, but <laughs> yeah. don't, don't really think too much into it. No, you've, uh, one thing's for sure, you've done plenty of travel over your yeah. uh, playing career. A few, so. air, few air miles racked up at this stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just for, like, I think it's, like, my brother's really into MLR, and he's a real rugby hipster. So, 
I know you've only been there for two months, but it's anything jumped out to you about the rugby culture over in North America so far? Anything that's sort of different to how it would be here? I think you just have to listen to the commentary for a few minutes <laughs> to, to realise <laughs> it's a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit different. <laughs> I, w- I won't say anything, but <laughs> <laughs> just take a listen for yourself. Uh, the the rugby is very enjoyable, though. Okay. Um, it's quite a very forward-oriented game, I've noticed. Kind of similar to, like, kind of English rugby, just a lot of mauling, scrummaging, and, yeah, very different because I was in New Zealand before, and it was very, like, kind of fast, high intensity, a lot of ball and play, but kind of gone full circle again, back to that kind of forward-oriented rugby. Right. And what made you decide to go to Toronto? I mean, was it just a case of... Here's the offer. I've only one career. I'll just go here and see what happens. Or what was yeah. the thought process? To be honest, I was kind of about to hang up the boots in December. I booked a flight home from New Zealand and was just going to go home for Christmas, enjoy the Christmas, and then kind of assess what I'll do work-wise after rugby. And then, yeah, I kind of had <laughs> was about to go home and reach out to people and see what was out there, but then. Then this opportunity came up. I was like talking to Shane O'Leary and he goes, oh, do you want to come to Toronto? And I was like, yeah, okay. So he asked the coaches and then they just like, oh, rang me up. What's your plan? I was like, oh, well, I'm going back to Ireland now, but I've been to New Zealand the last few years. And then they were like, do you want to come play for us? And I was like, it's only six months. So I said, yeah, why not? And then I can reassess after that again. Might as well keep the dream alive for another few months. Yeah, wow. That's, I didn't realize it had come to that point. Gosh, that's incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, so, like, because you're from Sligo originally, um, and you would have played in Sligo Rugby Club. I read this as well. You started out as a winger. For those of you who don't know, Conan plays a tight head prop. Is that correct? Yeah, either or tight head or loose head. Tight head. So, winger to to prop doesn't really seem like a lateral move. How did that happen? Yeah, so I was a young, skinny kid sprinting in the community games back in the day. You know. Yeah. Genetic freak. <laughs> Those fast twitch fibers. But then forced my pizza came to Sligo and probably uh, indulged too much in it as a young fella. And then, yeah, probably <laughs> probably a blessing in disguise if something tells me I wouldn't be playing uh, Professor Ruby as a, as a winger. Yeah. Because no. I remember seeing you play like for Connacht and, and schools rugby and stuff. And I was sort of surprised at the level of technical skill you had, there was obviously some sort of fax history there. Um, and I, I don't think it was from that now, to be honest. <laughs> I was quite young when I moved, so probably... Uh, right, okay. Probably just would have been through good coaching and stuff like that, would have involved that. And then you were involved with the under-20s way back in like 2015, 2016. I was just going through the squad that you were a part of. Like some of the names, like Hugo Keenan, Stockdale, James Ryan, Jimmy O'Brien... Andrew Porter I mean you know you'd wonder where they are now um when you played alongside those guys and growing up and obviously the talent you would have been playing with in the Connacht Academy and against sometimes did you have a sense that they were going to be like the world-class players that they are now or is that obvious from that stage it really is yeah I think Mm. especially in James Ryan's case I think we all knew he was destined for what he's done really Okay. Uh, but even at schools, rugby, because I would have played under 18 schools with him as well. Mm. And he was kind of like, like just such a leader. 
the leadership. He had all the qualities. You just looked at him. You're like, okay, he's he's the man. He's go he's going places. Yeah, wow. Just the leadership. Boys, obviously. Okay. But and yeah, is it, yeah. He's very good, hardworking, and was just very like diligent. Mm-hmm. You could just tell he kind of had the the tools in the armory for it. That's very interesting. Um, because you assume that leadership just comes later on in your career, but when like you know as you mature but he obviously he was captain of that 2016 side that went really well at the world cup um yeah it's it's um, it's remarkable that he had that already uh, and were they just really good specimens were like that kind of michael's crew just incredible athletes from the off i think so sounds like they're just probably kind of like the rugby nursery isn't it they must be doing something <laughs> right in that school because yeah. it seemed to just be churning out players every day, every year. I think they had um, there was a weird stat there, wasn't it? It was like they had like six Ireland under twenty captains in a row. Wow, I didn't see that. That's incredible. Yeah, because even the year before, um, Nick McCartney was uh, our captain as well. Okay, the scrum half. Yeah, yeah, and he went oh. to Michaels too. Wow. And then I'm pretty sure the year after was a Michael fellow too. Yeah, it's. It's um, it's famously the conveyor belt, but uh, I didn't yeah. realize it was that stark. Jeez, nah, okay, pretty, they must be doing something right there. <laughs> yeah, there's something in the water there. <laughs> um, come back to Connacht. Why did you end up leaving? Was it just a case of um, they weren't going to renew your contract, or did you want to take another adventure, or or how did that come about? Yeah, it probably just wasn't in my hands to be honest. I had the option to stay. I would have. Um, and then they just probably had a couple of young lads coming through and probably didn't see a future for me, so didn't renew my contract. And then I was pretty fortunate enough to actually get that whole some some of things pop up overnight and then that kind of just helped me keep playing. But I suppose if that didn't happen, I probably would have been, yeah, I don't know what would have happened. I didn't really have anything else at the time. So Yeah, because um, like, looking at your CV, I implore anybody to go off and, have a look at the clubs you've been at, but just very quickly, you went to Japan obviously after that, and then it was, I think, Crusaders and Canty's Manukau, and then you went up to Fangaray to Northland and play with the Highlanders as well. Now you're in Toronto. That's the CV of a well-traveled adventurer, like, I, <laughs> you know. Um, like I, I know your your sister uh, teaches languages and has a real appreciation for culture and has lived abroad a good bit as well. Is that something that's in you too? Did you just want to, look, I've got this tool here, this opportunity to see as much of the world as possible. I'm going to go wherever. Or was it a case of, you know, you just go where the opportunities are? Or was there any sort of forethought? It kind of just happens. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I suppose I was like, when you're growing up, the dream is to stay in Galway and play for Connick as long as you can and then have the hope on to to kick on to higher honours but then I think things have probably worked out for the better to be honest I probably oh I would definitely time. say that yeah. my god <laughs> yeah looking back at it now I'm like Jesus, I'm kind of happy it didn't work out the way I wanted to yeah. um, no, I've had a great time I loved it uh, really? obviously yeah. still still live in Toronto and then if anything happens after this then great if not well I've had an awesome time so I kind of have to be thankful for everything that's happened uh, oh, yeah. I know I'm very lucky. Like I know a lot of people probably are better than me or work hard, slightly harder than me, and then 
might get the same opportunities I have, so I'll probably just have to enjoy it and make the most of it because a lot of them have been once in a lifetime opportunities. So yeah. Yeah. You'd be a fool to turn them down, wouldn't you? For sure. Um like I was looking at the people you've been working with. Uh, you played with Sonny Bill Williams in the Mitre Ten Cup, for instance. Were, were you did you ever um cross paths with Scott Robertson when you were at the Crusaders? Yeah, so I was kinda in and out of that like environment for about two, two and a half seasons. So I know him pretty well. Uh, okay. We get on great, he's a legend. <laughs> and then uh, I remember my first time in New Zealand, obviously I wouldn't have known much about New Zealand rugby. I don't actually watch a whole pile of rugby to be honest, but mm. I was in it was when I moved to counties. It's in the middle of nowhere in Pukekohe. But I remember just like looking at TV because I was just been in the with the Sunwolves, so I think we got knocked out early and we didn't go to the playoffs or anything like that. So I kicked into training with counties, and I remember just Crusaders bet the Jaguars in the final. Okay. I remember it was just on the news and they had doing the little breakdance thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like in my head, I was like, wow, imagine being there. That'd be the coolest thing ever to witness. Like this, just like unbelievable breakdance, and everyone just sing along and then. Little did I know, like eight months later, I was in that circle of witnessing him breakdowns when they won the final the year after. So <laughs> it was, uh, I was just like, thinking, geez, I was in Pukekohe a few months ago, just wishing I was there. But I know <laughs> I wasn't playing or anything, but being involved in the squad was pretty cool. That must have been incredible. But like, the amount of people you've been under now, you've worked with Pat Lamb as well. Like, surely coaching is like, you're made for coaching at this stage. The amount of stuff you must have absorbed at this yeah. Even at 26. I mightn't have the ability, but I definitely have like the, the rugby knowledge after having all these great coaches. Like I've just, I've, I've had the best coach in the world over the last two, three years, even longer, four years. And yeah. even Pat before that. So I've just, yeah, I feel, I, I never really thought about going into coaching until maybe a year ago. I'm like, oh, maybe I should, like I have this, all this knowledge from all these lads, I probably should utilize it a bit more. But yeah, even, we'll even if it's like just to sit in the corner and talk about like everywhere you've been, <laughs> I think that'd be useful. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, like, give us a sense of like the New Zealand rugby culture because it's world famous. You know, we talk about this is rugby country in Ireland, and people get really annoyed about it. Um, that is rugby country, and it's famously rugby country, but. Was when you were going over, did the culture of how rugby is treated there, was it exactly what you expected or were you surprised in any way about how much or even how little it bleeds into daily life? Like, what is it like? I think it just depends on where you are in the country in itself. It's kind of like Ireland, you know, some places are GA strongholds, Ireland strongholds. And then obviously, like South Dublin would be the rugby stronghold, but then... And Limerick as well, but yeah, New Zealand, I suppose, where you are, like, because uh, um, some places are just, like, in the middle of nowhere and they just live and breed rugby. Some places they even, like, prefer rugby league, depending on where you are, and, like, the demographic there as well. But uh, I found in Christchurch, especially, it's, like, just a big rugby bubble there. Like, everyone loved it. Like, mm. it was just everything I can probably show why the Crusaders and Canterbury have been so successful over the years. And then... Yeah, I don't know. It was, it is like big there, but I feel like it's not as big as it used to be. Like okay. even if you look at the dying attendances, I think it's probably New Zealand's probably there's kind of more to do there than there was probably a few years ago, and people are probably just like not looking at rugby as much. But 
it is big there. It genuinely is. The rugby culture in itself and teams and stuff is great as well. Boys just froth it like. Yeah. Well, what What do you think that's about? Why Why do you think there are dying attendances? Uh, I think a lot of people actually used to prefer like NPC, the Mitre 10 Cup or whatever it's called now. Mm. has a new name every year. But yeah. um, <laughs> apparently there was like massive crowds back in the day, like okay. north of like fifteen to 20,000, like some rival games. And then obviously Super Rugby came in and that dwindled because of Super Rugby. And then I think probably the South African teams going out, people probably just, probably just the same thing over and over again. People are probably just like, oh, I kind of want something different. And then obviously, you know, like nowadays there's like so much social media and obviously more TV, television deals going on in rugby as well. So people probably rather go at home, watch it there. Or little kids probably just prefer doing their own thing like gaming or going on TikToks and all that. So I suppose the interest, there's just more general interest for people. So rugby is probably just not as like appealing to some people. Probably because there's so much to do out there now. Yeah. It's it's like the, the heart is gone from it or something. Certainly that's, that's the line that's sort of peddled usually. Um, when they take you in and when they see what you're about, are there things they're looking for out of Irish players? I know when uh, all black export comes over to Munster, say there's certain characteristics of like this huge big player who's also really technically gifted. Are there things that we're famous for in the rest of the world that we don't know about that? It's like, Oh, an Irish player is going to bring this to my team. That's a certainty. Probably just the work rate. Okay. And then maybe a bit of technicality as well, I suppose. I would have learned a lot from my coaches in Ireland about just the importance of like knowing your role and being very technical, kind of robotic at times, but it kind of works. Um, yeah, probably probably just the work rest for the big thing we're known for and then just that attention to detail. Yeah. Um, so I saw you said that your ambition still is to come back and play for Ireland at some point. Let's say tomorrow morning, Andy Friend or Pete Wilkins give you the call and say, we need injury cover badly. Are you on the first flight, flight home or are you going to stick out the MLR season or what What would you do in that situation? Uh, <laughs> probably a straightforward question <laughs> with a horrible answer, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> all depends if... Um... Suppose because I'm under contract, it all depends if you're allowed to be released and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. power isn't in my hands, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you still like you're twin. You're 27 by the time the World Cup rolls around. If you have a Johnny Sexton trajectory, that's a that's like three World Cups. You still have a chance of playing for Ireland. That um, it's still very much in the back of your mind that you'd love to come back here. You wouldn't. You, I mean, you wouldn't it's been ambitious, but yeah, it's because it's always the dream, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I suppose every professional rugby player wants to represent their country, but at the moment, I, I'm not. I'm not being any delusional. I know it's not really achievable when you're playing in Canada. So obviously, things have to. A few things have to go in my favour for that to happen. But if not, sure luck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, if you had to trade it for, like, you've done a lot as well. <laughs> In your yeah. career, um, it's been incredible. Uh, finally, I don't know if you're following much of the Six Nations this year, but there's a there's a big old game in Murrayfield this weekend. Um, do you think we're going to beat the Scots? I think we should, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
suppose we have the ability in the team there. So I think a few boys have come back from injuries, haven't they? Yeah, I'm not watching too much, but I've seen a few headlines though. Yeah, a um, few few guys you know, actually. You would have played with them at under-20 level. They're doing well, if you didn't know a few of them. Oh, I know. They won every game, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, doing quite well. I mean, with you there, who knows? Could push on to bigger and greater things. But look, that's ifs <laughs> uh, and buts and whatnot. But listen, Conan, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Best of luck for the rest of the season um, and enjoy that. Toronto sunshine. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks a million. Have a good evening. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.